Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. We are going to rebroadcast the show that, um, a special broadcast from March 10th, yesterday. However, before I play that that show, I wanted to um, share just a reflection review that I wrote about Soul of a Movement, Art in the Age of Black Power, currently at the D. Young Museum for the rest of this week um, through Sunday, March is it March 14th or March 15th? I think, yeah, Sunday, March 15th. So um, so run, don't walk, <laughs> don't miss it. And then on Saturday, there's going to be a special um, closing activities, and Boots Riley is going to be giving a talk at 2 p.m., but it should be really nice, and that's on the 14th. And um, there are, on Saturday, there are half-price tickets to get into the um, – Exhibition Soul of a Movement, which is an additional cost. Swatch is not additional because admission to the museum is free for five Bay Area counties. So you don't have to worry about paying for admission, but it's $10 on Saturday and $20 on Sunday for the Soul of a Movement exhibition. So here is what I wrote. Soul of a Movement, Art in the Age of Black Power at the De Young Museum is an opportunity for America to acknowledge the African presence at the heart of all that is human in this nation. Art articulates a vision. It is a language which negates artifice, artifice. Black art specifically erases borders as it, builds, as it builds edifices which house spirit. It is the welcome home, home a new color, a new shape, a new landscape. Art is the language of a people dispersed throughout the West speak to one another. And in this exhibition organized by Mark Godfrey, Zoe Whitley, and Tate Modern at International Art in London and remixed by curators Timothy uh, Aglin uh, Burgard and Lauren Palmore at the De Young in San Francisco, Patrons walk slowly through a landscape that is as varied as a people speaking from these walls, display cases, pages and magazines, and books. The exhibit, which opened in November last year, closes with a community party, as I already mentioned, Saturday, March 14th, with Boots Riley, who will be giving a free talk in the Corette Auditorium at 2 p.m. And then I give a link to um, Soul of a Movement and let you know that the tickets are discounted. <laughs> what is remarkable about this exhibition is its currency and how the San Francisco Bay Area, while not completely eclipsed, is in a large part left out of the story narrated here. How is that possible? How is this possible? The San Francisco Bay Area with the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, the African American Association, which predates that, reflects, is reflected in so much visual designs um, from the music to Emory Douglas's work as Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party in the party newspaper. How is that left out? The Bay Area is so pivotal in the development of a social and political consciousness. This is one of the reasons why it is really important that you do not miss this iteration. When Soul opens in Houston next, the last stop on the tour the stories that museum tells will be regionally specific and not include 
most of the artwork curated for this stop. When a body walks into soul of a nation, it cannot ignore the huge Romare Bearden work, a black and white collage. A founding member of the Spiral Movement, he is well known for his association with August Wilson's Century Cycle, a work that looks at how over a period of 10 decades black Americans crafted their lives, a task that kept unraveling because the thread was caught in a system meant to harm. You might notice the similarities between the two men. Wilson's storytelling looks a lot like Bearden's work. Characters reappear, themes consistent. There's a balance and then there is a life explored just off kilter to be interesting. Both men are also inspired by black music of the period, jazz. Born at the time of the Civil Rights Movement for Racial Justice, Mr. Richard Mayhew, retired professor, is another co-founder of Spyro. He said at a recent event that A. Philip Randolph founded the group, or at least gave the artists the idea to use their work to make a statement about the injustices black people were experiencing. What is unfortunate is that Mr. Mayhew's absence from the catalog and the traveling exhibition. How could such a pivotal pioneer be ignored? As Soul toured the nation, Mr. Mayhew noticed his absence and told somebody. <laughs> Sister Nashime Lindo, scholar and art collector, Mrs. Belva Davis, Maverick journalist, Danny Glover perhaps, and others who collectively made sure that Mr. Mayhew's work, two black and white paintings, are included and that he was properly honored at the opening ceremonies, which were full of pageantry and figurative fireworks. Mr. Mayhew, who gave many talks during the exhibition as as recently as last Saturday, gives background on Spyro in a wonderful audio tour created by the Fine Arts Museums and features Belva Davis and Danny Glover as moderators. Lauren Palmore, co-curator, and I have a wonderful conversation on Wanda's Picks Radio Show Tuesday, as I already mentioned, March 10th about the social movements covered by the exposition and exhibition and perhaps why the Bay Area was omitted. Perhaps Mr. May besides Mr. Mayhew, other artists with Bay Area connections are Ben Hazard, Schuyler, activist artist who just made his transition in December. His piece Medal of Honor sits in a gallery that looks at the notion of heroism. When we think about blackness as a concept, Heroism certainly comes to mind, whether that is as a soldier fighting for a country that does not value one's humanity, or as Marie Johnson Calloway, 1920 to 2018, shows with Crossing Guard, card 1970s, African-American women keep this nation's children safe. Raymond Saunders, Saunders um, Jack Johnson, boxer, a black man who knocked out a white man, yep, and lived. Other artists with local ties are Elizabeth Catlett, 1915 to 2012, whose black unity has emblematic <laughs> clenched fist card from mahogany wood. And then on the other side, we see black people. Together, we are powerful. Many patrons do not know to walk around the work to see the opposite side. Betty Saar, born 1926, her liberation of Aunt Jemima, 1972, has the stereotypical trope as an inkisi. Auntie has a rifle in one hand and a pistol in her lap. There is much to commend the exhibition. I just noted a work. I just noted I just noted works 
editing as I read this, <laughs> works that might not travel given the regional flavor of some of the some of the uh, gallery, some of some of the some of the presentations. And I already mentioned that too. That it's going to Houston next. Uh, Philip uh, Lindsay Mason, um, born in uh, 1939, her, his man child in the Promised Land, 1968, shows a little boy seated on a stoop, bullseye on his shirt. I thought about Claude Brown's classic story of addiction, poverty, and despair. Above the child showed that we see a Pepsi logo. How does the commercial go? Come alive! You're in the Pepsi generation. Interesting juxtaposition. The boy child sits at the crossroads. Trayvon Martin has Skittles, and this child is associated with a beverage. Both are quarry. In the catalog, another painting by Mason is pictured, The Death Makers, 1968. Acrylic paint on canvas. Uh, it's a big, big piece, 128 um, uh, by 4, uh, 0.4 by 128.9 um, inches, uh, uh, whereabouts unknown. In Deathmakers, two police as skeletons in their blue uniforms carry a black man on a stretcher. An American flag is the backdrop for the picture. The stars below the dead man's gurney. The stripes cover the sky. The canvas sphere shaped within a tight square. So it's a circle in a square. And it's on page 72 in the uh, catalog, the ex exhibition catalog. In the catalog, the work is juxtaposed with Archibald More, um, Motley's The First this is Motley, um, the first 100 Years. He among you who is without sin shall cast the first stone. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The Motley work looks at looks like something out of the Adams family, but the Confederate flag, flag draped over a door uh, with the Statue of Liberty standing next to a black man hanging from a tree branch by a rope with, well, that, that, that's not a complete sentence, by a rope wrapped around his neck. So it looks like something out of the Adams family, but it's not the Adams family. Um, um, we see... Um, as I mentioned, um, a lot of a lot of um, Jim Crow um, iconography, um, uh, antebellum iconography. Um, <clears throat> uh, we uh, there's, there's a Statue of Liberty standing next to a black man hanging from a tree branch by a rope wrapped around his neck. Dr. King and, and Kennedy's I'm not sure which ones faces um, are hanging from a tree like ornaments. Below, there's a uniformed Klan member with a rope in his hand and a hungry hound licking his lips. A fireman with a hose is walking away from a cross burning. Signs stating, we want freedom now. Black power, America for whites, Africa for blacks are behind this fireman, as I mentioned, who's letting the fire burn in, you know, the cross burning, letting it continue is behind him. Um, there are there are um, there are no black people um, except the ones in the trees I mentioned that look like ornaments. Uh, just an eerie fog or mist, um, white only. Colored only signs are on the opposite sides of the canvas, which is large. There is cotton, not clouds, in the sky. Skulls and masks, perhaps 
this is what hell looks like. Yeah, it's a really powerful, powerful piece. Um, I think this is the same room where Dana C. Chandler Jr.'s Fred Hampton's door in 1970 is also displayed. On the door where the bullet holes are at the center, there's a star and a label that says U.S. Government Approved um, 1969. And that's on page 71 in the catalog, but it, um, it's also um, a part of the traveling ex- exhibition. A few pages for Emory, Doug- Emory um, Douglas um, has an order form for revolutionary posters. Fred Hampton, the slain Chicago Black Panther Party leader, is on the front page of that particular newspaper. Make sure you have time to sit and watch the wonderful slide presentation with murals from Chicago's Wall of Respect to Dewey Crumpler's iconic mural on the side of the African-American Art and Culture Complex, formerly Wajumbe Cultural Center on Fulton Street in San Francisco. And then lastly, Cleveland Bellows Billboard is an exposition Exhibition, uh, one of ten. All ten aren't there, but one of these. This is one of ten he painted and put in various locations in Oakland, 1970. On the museum's website, you can read more about the artist and what he calls social reality. The boy's hands are over his head, and he looks to be smiling. Today, black boys with hands raised are alarming. Um, in this particular um, exhibition of uh, Cleveland Bellows, these 10 billboards, was founded by the Oakland Museum at that time and uh, Foster Kleiser Billboard Company. Um, and uh, these um, these billboards, um, this particular one that we look at, it has a really, it's really uncluttered. Um, we have the boy and then we have a lot of space around him. And this uncluttered landscape, I write, allows multiple interpretations. So, <laughs> this is my reflection on on the exhibition, and uh, certainly I encourage you once again to make sure that you check it out. And um, and here is the uh, rebroadcast of yesterday's interview with um, the co-curator of of the um, Soul of a Movement um, stop at the De Young and uh, Lauren on Palmer. And uh, and then we we jump into a conversation, which is also rebroadcast, with um, a few people. Um, uh, but what I really want you to pay attention to is well, pay attention to everything. <laughs> but Laurie Lane Ellis and and Kendra Kimbrough Barnes um, are co-founders of Black Choreographers Festival here and now, and they're going to be honored next week on the 24th at Brava Theater in the Isadora Duncan Awards. They're going to get Izzy's. And so I want to let you know about that. That's a free event, so you can be in the house um, to to um, congratulate these two wonderful, wonderful um, art makers and facilitators. And uh, 16 years, wow, it's no joke. Really, really wonderful. Um, Black Choreographers Festival here and now had a really wonderful 16th anniversary showcase that ended last week at Mills College. Um, and I'm sure they'll have other things going on this year. I think they have something in the fall. Um, and Kendra Kimbrough Barnes, she um, she has a um, – her um, – Kendra Kim, Kimbrough, her performance company gave us an excerpt of, of – what joy looks like, and they're going to have the full piece. It's going to be uh, debuting this fall, so look out for that. All righty, and uh, 
Thanks so much for listening to another edition of Wanda Sticks. Peace and blessings. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Ticks, the Black Arts and Cultural Program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we're listening to just the beginning of Ethnic Heritage Ensemble's Black is Back. Um, and we'll play the whole thing at the end of this conversation that we're getting ready to have with Lauren uh, Palmore, um, who is the co-curator, co co curator <laughs> of Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power, um, which is currently um, at the D. Young Museum. And I just wanted to give folks a heads up that it is closing, moving on to the next location on Sunday, March 15th. So, you know, you don't want to, like, sleep on this. You want to, like, go sooner than Sunday. 
Is that correct, Lauren? People should probably, like, plan to go before Sunday? <laughs> yeah, plan to come on Sunday or come on Saturday and enjoy the big celebration we're having on our free Saturdays. We're going to have our closing party the day before. Um, with Boots Riley, oh. he'll be giving a talk. So if you don't want to miss mm-hmm. Boots Riley, come on Saturday. Right, yeah. And what time is his talk? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sorry. All that information is on our website um, the time of Boots Riley. Um, but um, actually, Helena's with me. She's pulling that up right now. Um, but we, we're excited. I'm sorry for not being prepared. We're really excited about it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And this exhibition is just so wonderful. And I thought maybe we could start out, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be co-curator of this fabulous uh, exhibition, which I guess originated um, in in London. Um, Tate Modern um, uh, organized it, and it's sort of it's sort of a uh, supposedly a comprehensive look at um, the work of African American artists uh, during two pivotal pivotal decades in American history, 1963 to 1983. And and what's so really uh, um, remarkable about art in particular um and this particular work is that we see a current resonance like you know like okay this was created then but it still um resonates for the audience now and then just the title of it soul of a nation mm-hmm. right and you think about mm-hmm. african american people as not necessarily being seen as that integral to this this nation or to Western culture in general. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, about how you came to be co-curator. And, and then I thought maybe you could just maybe um, talk about what's unique about this particular stop along the exhibition tour. Absolutely. Um, and I, before I get off topic, the talk with Boots Riley is at 2 o'clock on Saturday. I'm sorry for not having <laughs> that in front of me. Um, so oh, the no story problem. is so... Uh, this, the story of how Soul of a Nation came to San Francisco is, is it's an exciting story. It kind of captures the moment of what's going on here at our institutions. We got a new director. Uh, Thomas Campbell came to us from the Met um, a little over a year ago. And his first order of business was bringing this important exhibition to the Bay Area. Um, it had already made a splash in London and Bentonville, Arkansas, Brooklyn, and uh, his first highest priority was we needed to bring this urgent conversation, this vital exhibition to San Francisco and share it with our audiences. So I'm just so grateful for his vision. Um, That was his first order of business. There's a really interesting alchemy that happens when an exhibition about American art and American social justice and American civil rights movement was organized and incubated in London across the ocean. Um, and some of that created really amazing opportunities for, for us, and it also kind of left some gaps for us to fill. Uh, the exhibition that we inherited initially mostly focused on just New York, Chicago, and Los Angeles. Of course, as you know, being in the Bay Area, we have an incredibly rich history that uh, warrants equal footing and equal attention, and um, we wanted to honor so many Bay Area artists who should be a part of this incredible moment. So when we knew the show was coming here, 
our first order of business as curators was to look around uh, the the story of black art in San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, and and find the missing pieces. And um, for us, the hard the hard part was that in in the Bay Area, there wasn't really one cohesive movement with a manifesto or a declaration the same way there was in some of these other cities. So we had to be a little bit more creative in how we address this, um, our, our first steps in, in fixing this problem and, and filling these gaps. So we did two things. One was we looked at the institutional history of the De Young Museum, and I am completely captivated by the story of an exhibition that we had here in 1968. Uh, it was our uh, famous exhibition, The Black Panthers, a photo essay, which was a project done by Ruth Marion Baruch and Perkle Jones. And in 1968, Ruth Marion Baruch, she knew something urgent was happening, and she went to the director of the museum. She said, there's this group in Oakland. They're called the Black Panthers. They're doing something incredibly important, and I need to photograph it. And you need to put my photographs in your museum now. And lo and behold, she earned trust with Eldridge Cleaver, Kathleen Cleaver. They allowed her to attend events, get to know the community. She photographed throughout the whole summer of 1968. And in December 1968, she opened up her exhibition here with her husband, Perkle Jones, uh, at the De Young Museum. And it was the most popular exhibition up to that point in the museum's history. So we, we wanted to capitalize on that moment. So one of the first things we added was images from that exhibition, and images of people uh, partaking in that exhibition, visitors to the museum in 1968, to kind of help locate the story of soul of a nation within the story of, of who we are and, and who we've always wanted to be as a museum. Um, the other place we looked for inspiration for the Bay Area story was a rainbow sign in Berkeley. Um, which was a community center from 1971 to 1977. Uh, maybe you or your listeners were able to visit or attend. Um, we were really struck by the vision of Marianne Poller and Evangeline Montgomery, who brought artists, writers, musicians to to Berkeley to stand in front of crowds of families and inspire them with with black art, literature, culture. Um, and it, that was a very moving lesson in where we should be thinking about who to add to this exhibition. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I noticed um, um, that uh, a good friend of mine who who has now um, made his transition, you know, since um, the signage was, was um, installed uh, in the uh, gallery, um, but Ben Hazard, um, artist, educator, curator, administrator, mm -hmm. and community leader. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and so his his piece, um, it looks like um, one of the medals of honor that yeah. um, someone might receive. Yeah, yeah. And um and so um yeah, when I when I saw that, I'm like, Wow, that is so beautiful and then how, you know, you have to get really close to see um the different um etchings inside of of the um um what is the shape um it's like a yeah i think it's a pen i think it's a pentagon the shape of the yeah the medal of honor right right yeah yeah 
and inside um, he has um, a, a figure. Um, what is that figure doing? Is he throwing something? It's, it looks like he might be holding a torch or a Molotov cocktail, um, mm-hmm. but then the flame he carries, you can interpret it as a beacon or as a weapon, um, the Medal of Honor being given to someone who could be leading the way or, or doing something antagonistic that needs to be done to kind of galvanize a fight. Um, it's an ambiguous piece, but it's also so relevant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 then I noticed, like, oh, my goodness. I mean, some other people, like Joe Overstreet, you know, we came from there to get here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh yeah, and I'm um, like, oh man, he he just left us last year, and then mm-hmm. um, uh, Marie Johnson Callaway, School Crossing Guard. That's a really beautiful piece, 1970s. And, oh, she's and he that's one of my favorites. Yeah, I like that yeah. one too. And um, and then Philip Lindsay Mason. Um, uh, he's not he's he's still with us, but his hero is really um, really provocative. And 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 then. Um, I, I learned that, um, well, I was looking at the catalog, which is quite a study and quite a history, and I'm like, whoa, this thing is so comprehensive. You know, we mm-hmm. start with the spiral movement as we walk into the gallery, and um, and then in the book, you know, it talks about, you know, the founders, and, and Richard Mayhew, you mm-hmm. know, is still, you know, with us, and he lives here in the Bay Area. And, and I, I heard that... Um, that he actually, um, he's not, well, actually, he's not in the catalog. And I'm like, how could they not have him in there? That doesn't oh. make any sense. And he's one of the yeah, founders, the, right? Yeah, I know. So this is one of the most amazing examples of how we were, as as a Bay Area museum, how we were uh, well-suited to kind of filling in some of the, the glaring gaps in, in the show mm-hmm. that we inherited. Richard Mayhew, yeah. Mr. Mayhew, he is a friend of the museum. He is uh, a hero to so many people who stand in front of his beautiful painting that hangs upstairs, Rhapsody. Um, he's such an incredible, passionate advocate for art and the power of art. And we couldn't believe that he was omitted from every other presentation of this exhibition. Um, mm-hmm. When when we spoke to the Tate curators about their decision not to include Mr. Mayhew or his work, um, their argument was that that choice was made because he painted over the painting that he had originally included in their one and only group exhibition, which was in 1965. Uh, we know Mr. Mayhew is a colorist, and um, the the guidelines for that exhibition was it had to be work in black and white. So it's not very surprising Mm -hmm. that uh, he wasn't happy with the work afterwards and he painted over it. Maybe he painted something beautiful and bright over that black and white canvas. But because it didn't Mm -hmm. exist anymore, he wasn't included Mm -hmm. in the show. Um, So it was very important to us that we rectify this situation that Mr. Mayhew got his due, especially as a as a friend of the community, as a as a well-loved local figure. So we were in a position where we negotiated between um, the curators in London and Mr. Mayhew to see how we could fix this. And we ended up landing on a solution, which was we included two black and white drawings from the 1960s to gesture towards his his involvement in the group, his inclusion in that important exhibition, and uh, it was very powerful to see him finally getting his due. 
uh, when he was at our opening events, he got his long overdue standing ovation. And um, mm-hmm. I think that was meaningful, especially given that he has seen this exhibition travel for two years across the notion, and he's seen all of his peers finally get recognized. And um, and to get recognized in a specific context of the spiral group of which he was a founding member. So we're very proud of our ability to to fix that. Mm-hmm. Right, and grateful, right, of yeah. course, to, to Richard Mayhew and his wife, Rosemary, who made it possible. Mm-hmm. Right, and I heard that he they also um, made a gift of the work to the museum, the Fine Arts Museums. Oh, um, I haven't yeah. heard of that, but I would love that yeah. to be true. I, I look forward to hearing about it. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but it was so wonderful, you know, hearing him talk about, you know, the spiral movement, um, you know, that was started by A. Philip Randolph. I'm like, whoa, he gets around, you know, like organizing mm-hmm. for the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, you know, the March on Washington, uh, for Jobs and Freedom, and then this, an art movement, like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, he, um, um, gosh, I lost my thought. But anyway, um, yeah, it it was um, it was really wonderful um, mm-hmm. to see the work and to hear his voice in the audio tour, you know, with Belva mm-hmm. Davis and Danny Glover. And I'm like, the way they sort of they actually interview some of the artists, and I'm like, oh, this is let the artists actually talk about the movement, the work. You know, and within the context mm-hmm. of this nation, you know, that is being um, shaken up around, you know, around equal access and yeah. and democracy for everyone, and um, and and that's what really comes through um, in this exhibition. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about about these movements and and mm-hmm. the way that the exhibit sort of flows between one thing and another, and then maybe we sure. can like, stop in the galleries and talk about some of the work. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, um, like, particularly but, some of the women like Betty Saar and Faith Ringgold oh, and yeah. some of the other folks. Well, I do, I do want to um, comment on something that you just brought up, which was like the power of, of hearing voices of artists speaking for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I do want to reiterate that for us, this was a really strong organizing principle. As much as we were able to kind of color in the lines that were drawn by, by Tate, wherever we could inject someone's voice where they could speak for themselves, we did so. So um, you may have noticed in our gallery about black heroes uh, featuring images of of heroes from the imaginary to the fantastic to the everyday, there's a portrait of Faith Ringgold by Alice Neal. And Mm -hmm. knowing that Faith Ringgold painted some amazing self-portraits, we weren't quite satisfied with having her be imaged by somebody else. So another work that we added to the show was a very powerful self-portrait by Faith Ringgold that hangs right next to her portrayal by another artist and opens up kind of conversations about how others see us versus how we see ourselves and how we can declare ourselves. Um, So I I did want to remark upon that Mm -hmm. because that was a really important Mm -hmm. um, fact for us. Um, so you you wanted uh, an audio tour, a little walk through the no. galleries. Um, no, no, oh. no. Actually, no. The movements like Spyro, oh, the Cobra, yeah, the you know, sure, yeah, sure. those the movements, um, you know, and and just sort of how um, because the uh, the D Young um, exhibition is not 
a carbon copy, obviously, because we're talking about the inclusion of so many, so many artistic voices that are indigenous yeah. to the San Francisco Bay Area. But also, um, I heard that in some of the other exhibitions, there was like a, um, like music was like sort of like also a part of the curate curatorial process. Mm. Whereas at the young, you know, you've had, you know, musicians like uh, Tarika Lewis and Avacha and others, you know, performing, mm-hmm. um, I think, uh, in the gallery side of, like, I think around where, I'm not exactly certain where, but I know you also have a film, you know, you, people can see film and also look yeah. at some other um, photographs. So, yeah, I just wanted you to talk about, like I told you, the book, the, uh, the catalog is um, is quite, quite, um, it's very well researched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and but but it's it's like a study. I mean, you can't just like read through it quickly. No. And so I just wanted you to maybe touch on some of these important movements, like yeah, Spiral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so you mentioned Spiral already, and um, that is the first gallery. That is where we begin, and, and Spiral opens up a host of vital questions, uh, really directly related to how artists can serve a movement. And that's really the dialogue that runs throughout that room where they were working at the height of the civil rights movement and questioning their role as artists in service of that moment. And um, it opens us up to discussing different groups that also appear throughout the show. Um, There is a gallery um, called Art in the Streets, Art and Black Power, and we begin that gallery really is rooted in the story of the Wall of Respect in Chicago, which uh, was painted in 1967, a product of the efforts of OBASI, the Organization of Black American Culture. Um, Although that group was um, uh, predominantly shaped and influenced by the efforts of writers, uh, there was a visual arts component. And after the success of the Wall of Respect, which um, inspired mural, mural movements all over the United States, uh, some of the artists who were affiliated with OBASI kind of broke off and incubated their own um, more visually potent bonds to what was going on around them. And this more heightened uh, art-focused group was Afrocobra that grew out of those initial efforts in 1967. And Afrocobra is... Um, there were so many interesting things about this group, and we got to spend some particularly meaningful time with, with some of the leading artists from Africa who came for the opening, uh, Wadsworth Gerald, Jay Gerald, Gerald Williams, who were very generous with sharing their memories and stories, um, and empowered by the success of what Obasi had accomplished, Africa just pushed it further, and, and they had these really incredible conversations about how they were going to create a visual language really rooted in imaging the black family, uh, role models, icons, using colors that would grab people's attention, incorporating language that could be read and studied and and um, could educate through disseminating images. And they used a lot of printmaking techniques so they could really inexpensively share these posters with anyone who wanted one. Um, they were also really conscious of making riveting exhibitions that could propel a message forward. And Jay Gerald speaks about um, 
all the other members were painters. So their exhibitions could have been very flat, very two-dimensional paintings and prints. But she was a fashion designer, so she saw her role in Afrocobra as the artist in three dimensions, the sculptor of the group. And she pivoted from someone who was doing ready-to-wear by mail order um, as Jay of Hyde Park. Um, she became the sculptor of the group, and she pushed fashion design into into powerful symbolic messages in, in, in sculpture. Um, so Afrocobra is another really significant group. Um, and the exhibition concludes with Just Above Midtown, which, although it wasn't a cohesive group, Just Above Midtown was a gallery around which a significant artists really orbited, and it became a haven for the black avant-garde who otherwise didn't really have many opportunities to exhibit their work or speak directly to visitors and audiences about their works and the urgent messages they're trying to convey. And uh, Just Above Midtown is an incredible story of um, its founder, Linda Good Bryan, who started off as an educator at the Met and at the Studio Museum in Harlem. And she was friends with a lot of these avant-garde artists who were telling her, there's nowhere for us to show our work. And her response was, let's start a gallery. And she put everything on the line, and she wasn't going to put this gallery in a place where she would preach to the converted. She wasn't looking for a space in the Bronx or Harlem where people were already receptive to what she was doing. She was determined to find space in midtown Manhattan, surrounded by blue-chip galleries selling impressionist paintings and old master paintings. And in the middle of all of that, she had Senka Ngundi and David Hammonds, and um, it was this incredible celebration, but it was also a very intentional declaration of, of being present, of being vital. So that Just Above Midtown wasn't a cohesive group, but um, it was this giant force that was kind of orbiting around one person's very cohesive and clear vision. And uh, Linda Good Bryant still speaks with such vision, and um, she's still so compelling in, in her in her passions for these ideas. Um, I know it's it kind of a quick kind of skirt through <laughs> some, of the, some of the groups in the show, but there's so many ways you can kind of dip in and out of the, the galleries and learn about these incredible groups of artists who have been omitted from the history books, who I think are now, um, they're now in the canon. I think the books are having to be rewritten after this show. Um, Kamoinge was uh, the Kamoinge workshop is the subject of of uh, our photography gallery, the longest running photography nonprofit I think in the world, with generations mentoring generations mentoring generations, and artists working today who can trace a direct line to Roy de Carava. Um, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, I don't know. It's it's um, an incredible exhibition. I. It's almost impossible to digest without lots of time and, and um, moments of reflection. And I think the book is a helpful tool for helping guide that um, guide that reflection on, on this really sh big show. Mind you, they this major exhibition has to um, has to kind of fill in gaps that have been like festering in museums and exhibitions for decades. So there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot here that's been waiting to come out for a really long time.
Mm. Right. Yeah, I was wondering, um, um, did you um, did you study art history um, uh, to be able to be a curator? Um, like, what's what's your academic preparation for the task of you know mm. being able to facilitate such an exhibition and to fill in the missing parts um, of it? Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I've always wanted to be a curator, I think, since I learned that the job existed when I was maybe 14 years old. And um, mm-hmm. I've always been attracted to the ways in which museums can correct the record and how art historians can practice social justice in just being good art historians and asking the right questions and being respectful and flexible. So um, I always studied art history. I've I got my Ph.D. from the University of Washington, where I wrote my dissertation on um, ageism in art history. So my my whole doctoral project was really an investigation of how, because we sometimes look at paintings with an inherited ageist lens, we actually miss a lot of important information. And so that's kind of the way that I'm wired as an art historian. I'm, I'm really predisposed to seeing what we're not seeing, and I think there's nothing more thrilling than fixing the record on um, what we're not seeing. So that's kind of what mm. prepared me for 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 the task of working on a show like Soul of a Nation, and um, previously I worked on the exhibition Revelations, Art from the African American South, and that was another mm-hmm. amazing opportunity to engage with artists who had been missing from the canon, who weren't a part of American art history, even though a lot of what they were accomplishing was completely innovative and had never been seen before. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, that's that's my favorite part of being a curator and art historian is fixing history, which we we know it needs fixing. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. certainly. And I just think, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, you know, we, we have such a – a rich, um, you know, also like all at once, there's so many wonderful exhibitions. You know, the one at the Museum of the African Diaspora just closed. Um, you know, Black is Beautiful. Mm. You know, the work of uh, um, uh, Kwame um, Brath- Brathwaite mm-hmm. and um, and and the uh, you know African Jazz Art Society, and sort of looking at how he had never had a major exhibition be- before mm. this one. I'm like, wow. You know, it's kind of amazing. So all these different, you know, artists are making work and they're connecting themselves, you know, to Africa, you know, um, sort of like, you know, making, you know, sort of like connect themselves to something bigger and and larger than just our lives here in America. And I was wondering if you could, um, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know how much time you have, but um, in closing, maybe um, talk a little bit about, you know the black women artists because they are very oh, yeah. represented in this exhibition, which is really awesome. And they're doing all kinds of using different kinds of mediums <laughs> and being mm-hmm. the subject oh, yeah. of of work. And um and and you know I just love um, Betty Sarr, and oh, yeah. and she she is just like phenomenal. And I just love that that Aunt Jemima one. You know where you know she's got. Does she have a broom and then a, a she rifle? She has a broom and a <laughs> rifle and a little pistol. I'm glad you mentioned this work. I love Betty Sarr, too. And she, in the exhibition, we represent how she works in these two different modes. Like she did um, 
a lot of work where she took really abhorrent, vile, racist stereotypes, and she flipped them on their heads. She empowers Aunt Jemima, giving her a gun. She's ready to fight for herself. She stands really defiantly on a bed of cotton. And um, there's a great quote where uh, Angela Davis said the black women's movement started with that sculpture. And uh, Mm. for Betty Starr, that was really thrilling. But what uh, for us, what was exciting about incorporating uh, a Bay Area voice into this show was um, pieces like uh, The Liberation of Aunt Jemima, which had always been part of this exhibition from London to Brooklyn to now. It had always been in the show, but mm-hmm. had been missing the Bay Area story. And what we had learned was that it had actually been created for an exhibition at Rainbow Sign in Berkeley. And mm. to have that local level, that layer of connection, really changes the piece. And upon further research, I learned that the the pieces for the assemblage were actually gathered at a flea market in Alameda, which mm-hmm. adds another layer to that work. Is, is We have all these ideas about the Bay Area and how we've always been accepting and liberal and... But somehow she found those things in Alameda, which which I think changes the work for our audiences. It makes it a lot more urgent and personal. Um, we we were also able to recontextualize uh, Elizabeth Catlett's Black Unity, mm-hmm. the incredible fifth, yes. because it, we we know it was exhibited at Rainbow Sign in Berkeley. So in some instances, we took these works by women that were already part of the show. And we were able to layer on Bay Area stories. And in other instances, we added Bay Area artists, like you mentioned, um, Marie Johnson Calloway, whose mm-hmm. Crossing Guard is just one of my favorite works in the show. Um, and this Crossing Guard, she's in the middle of the Black Heroes Gallery. And I can't think of a bigger hero than the person who makes sure that kids get to school safely. Uh, she's mm-hmm. down low and she's almost at a level where she's kind of life-sized and poised, ready to help help the kids cross the street. And it was really, it was really heartening to uh, speak to people at the opening, and more than one person came up to me and told me, that was my art teacher, uh, Mrs. Calloway. Mm. She was my art teacher in San Jose when I was a kid. So we have these incredible works on the wall, but... Uh, there's something really amazing about the personal stories that our visitors have when you add works by people from this place. That was really great. Um, we also added works by other incredible women. Um, Barbara Chase Reboo's Confession for Myself. Mm-hmm. We added mm-hmm. that to the show because um, she's such a phenomenal force in in modern sculpture. And to think that she wasn't part of the exhibition, um, that didn't seem... Right. <laughs> so Mm-mm. there was another negotiation there because um, we had to make an argument for, for adding someone that the Tate curators had decided not to include. And I think that was a fight worth fighting, and, and it's got such a tremendous presence. This amazing polished bronze piece, it's just so overwhelmingly huge, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it's it's shining, and as it gets closer to the ground, the pieces closer to the ground kind of unfurl in in braids and knots and twisted wool, becoming like hair. And it's 
it's like a totem, but it's also a self-portrait. And um, she's she's an incredible force, and we're very happy we added her to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, for those of us that you know live here in the Bay Area and and visit, you know, um, art galleries, you know, there was her Barbara Chase Rabu. Um, her she was in the last. She was one of the last, the last exhibition at um, Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive before um, they closed the old mm-hmm. location and went, you know, to move to build the current location, which is, um, you know, um, right at uh, Fulton and and um, I think Durant, and and so and and she gave a talk and and it was just like marvelous because mm-hmm. was, like she is so phenomenal and yeah to walk in and see this huge, you know, regal black sculpture, and you described it so lovely, um, oh. you know, going down all the way to the bottom so people now will look. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and it's also amazing to um, remember that she had designed a similar form for a series of, um, like, memorial pieces for Malcolm X. And then after doing this huge series of Malcolm X tributes, she used a very similar language for a piece that I view as a self-portrait, and there's something really interesting in taking the the language you use to describe a hero or a role model or icon, uh, and then kind of adapting it for yourself. There's something really cool in that, and uh, opens up a lot of questions about how she sees uh, Malcolm and also how she sees herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was the exhibit at um, Bamfa. Uh, was mm-hmm. these pieces? Um, they were they were stales, right? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. That those stales. That was the exhibition at Bamfa that um, that they uh, hosted um, as their last major exhibit before closing um, mm-hmm. the location on on Bancroft Way. I wanted to go back uh, to um, Elizabeth Catlett, and I wanted to mention, you already know this, I'm sure, but for our audience, that Samella Lewis, who has an essay in the catalog, um, she was Elizabeth Catlett's um, student, and, and she is a phenomenal woman. And Elizabeth Catlett also, um, you know, she lived in Mexico, and she was a part mm-hmm. of the Mexican muralist movement, mm-hmm. and... Um, and and I wanted to mention that in the rotation you have all these beautiful murals that I I didn't know how many there were but I stood mm. there for a while watching them all <laughs> and then oh, yeah, and the then you know do it yeah. yeah and then do a crumpler you know who's here in the bay and he's getting ready mm-hmm. to have a solo show at the Richmond Art Center um, I'm not sure if it's next month um, I think it might be next month or the month after and. Um, yeah, it was just really, really great seeing how, you know, we were looking at murals in Chicago mm. and and Los Angeles maybe and then we saw murals that are here. Yeah, that was <laughs> in, that in was one of my fun <laughs> That was mm-hmm. one of my fun projects was um mm-hmm. injecting some San Francisco into the slideshow of the the mural movement. Because um, it's so mm-hmm. powerful and and we we all know that there are amazing murals all around the Bay Area and Dewey Crumpler is having a really important moment right now and we were just thrilled mm-hmm. we could add some photos of his work. Right, right, yeah, um, yeah, and and 
Yeah, and then um, lastly, I just said lastly mm-hmm. twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to know um, if um, I, I want to tell you mine, but I was wondering if you could maybe um, sort of maybe give us a few of the more chilling um, pieces. I was thinking mm-hmm. about the one by Philip uh, Lindsay Mason, uh, Manchild in the Promised Land, where you, we have this little boy mm-hmm. who's sitting with um, – uh, a bullseye right on his chest, and I'm like, whoa, yeah. wow. I'm well, like, that's, wow. that's actually then, <laughs> that's the work I would choose for most chilling as well. Um, when we were looking for works to add to the show, I came across an image of that painting, and before knowing when it was painted, I thought it was a painting of Trayvon Martin. And when mm. I saw it was painted in 1968, um, it gave me chills. And um, mm-hmm. I get chills just thinking about it because it has so many resonances. We, we know about Trayvon Martin was out to get Skittles. And in this painting of this young boy on a stoop, there's a little sign uh, for Pepsi just out of reach, like a sweetness he can't grab. And there's something mm-hmm. really interesting in the perspective that Mason has put the viewer in a position of perhaps the aggressor. You're, you're looking down on this boy who has a target painted on his chest and you have to kind of deal with that position and and are you going to be aggressor are you going to to help him is anyone going to help him um and what I, i i only learned um kind of after spending more time with the painting that the little boy has one closed fist and one open hand as if he's also unsure about how to deal with that status of being a target is he going to fight is he going to acquiesce um, and it's very ambiguous. Um, so it's it's a powerful image, and um, it, it sings with it sings in harmony with imagery now from Black Lives Matter, like mm-hmm. Cleveland Bellows billboard. We have the a drawing for a billboard that was designed by Cleveland Bellow, very similar yeah. with a very similar effect, uh, an ambiguous image of a young boy, his hands up. And you don't know if he's singing, if he's joyful, if he's celebrating, or if someone is saying hands up if he's being stopped by a cop in the streets, if, if he's being um, targeted. And Bello was very intentional in that ambiguity. He put that image on 10 billboards between Oakland and Berkeley. And of course, how you view that ambiguous image says a lot about how you move through the world. Um, and I think those two works are still very chilling and still very compelling, especially with uh, recent headlines. And they're hung next to each, they're hung very close to each other in the mm-hmm. Black Power Gallery. So I, I do invite yeah. people to to think of those questions in that room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've also had yeah. some recent experiences taking visitors through, and everyone is really struck by a piece mm-hmm. by David Hammonds called "The Door mm-hmm. Admissions mm-hmm. Office." And yes. it's a yes. it's a repurposed institutional door. It looks like it's from a principal's office with a big glass mm-hmm. panel. And the artist has covered himself in, in oil and then ink and rubbed his body very hard against that surface. And you can feel a forcefulness. And when you encounter this object in, in the middle of the space, you get the sense that he he pushed against this door with all his might and still he couldn't get through. And, of course, mm-hmm. above that, 
image of his body, it says admissions office. And I was walking through with uh, an incredible educational nonprofit called Summer Search, and they're all about um, justice and education and opportunity. And to walk through <laughs> with people who are trying to create equity and opportunity in education and employment for bright young people, to see this really incredible um, image of what it is to be barred out and to not have access to the same universities or the same jobs. I mean, that was a really, that was a very striking moment. Mm-hmm. So those, those are those are a few of the of the the works I would call out. Um, famously, at the opening of the exhibition in Los Angeles, the scholar mm-hmm. Bridget Cooks said, "I have good news and I have bad news. This exhibition has never been more relevant." And um, mm. I I have to say I agree. Right. Yeah. I was thinking when you were talking about um, the uh, man child in the promised land, and and the other. Um, the uh, the billboard um, by uh, um, is that Nelson Stevens? Oh, no, Cleveland Bellow. Yeah, Cleveland Bellow. Yeah, I was thinking about the the, the few um, pieces that have the American flag in them, and mm-hmm. specifically, I'm thinking about uh, Benny Andrews. Um, Did oh. the bear sit under a tree? And and how the flag is kind of rolled up, and his fists are up, and and mm. and when I was reading the um, uh, the plate it said uh, what the description was saying like the the flag could actually unroll and cover him up too mm-hmm. you know like yeah yeah and so I thought that was um, you know really telling and then the um, the exhibit where all of the pieces are from I think uh, when after the uprising after Rodney King the Rodney King verdict mm-hmm. and, uh, and and oh, um, you know no, among it was those. That. Uh, 65 oh. Marquette Fry when Watts. Oh, Mar- okay, Marquette Fry. Right, right. Yeah. So we got Noah Perifoy and other, um, you know, mixed media artists, and it's just like, wow, it's really something, you know, all of those different interpretations of that moment, with, mm-hmm. with, with um, uh, materials from that particular moment. So it's like it puts us like in the space because we have this. You know these artifacts that came from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you mentioned Noah Purifoy. He, mm-hmm. he is. Um, I mean, he's notable for so many reasons. But one was he had tremendous foresight. Uh, while while Watts was just undergoing all that tumultuous chaos, he was mm-hmm. then the director of the Watts Towers Art Center, and he knew oh. that he knew that this was going to be a moment where the entire community would need to heal and that mm-hmm. art was going to be uh, the tool for that. So immediately after everything simmered down, he went through the streets with his friend, the artist Judson Powell, and they collected mm-hmm. about three tons of debris, like broken windows, melted neon signs, smashed car doors, three tons of what he viewed as raw art material. And he created art about that moment in response to that moment, but from from the wreckage of what they had all just been through. And he also, they, together they also organized an exhibition where many artists came together and showed similar works. That was called 66 Signs of Neon. And it was... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and you can still see photos of that exhibition online. Um mm-hmm. 
it's it was very well documented. So we're lucky that we can learn from it and kind of experience it through through photos today. Right. Yeah, the Oakland Museum had a really wonderful um, exhibit of um, Noah Perifoy's work, and, and I got a chance to see it and meet him. And I just thought about Joshua Tree, which I didn't mm. make make it there, you know, while he was alive, because I know that's where he lived and that's where he mm-hmm. had his, you know, his studio and his museum. And I was wondering, have you been to Joshua Tree? And is his I've, museum I've still there? Oh, yeah, cool. it's um, it's. It's very, very different to see him in represented in Soul of a Nation and working on these discrete pieces that are like the size of a large canvas painting. And then to go out into the desert where he has nothing but space. And it's really exciting to see how an artist's imagination can expand to fill whatever space you give it. And uh, he gave himself a desert. So <laughs> it's it's a pretty exciting and um uh, it's a pretty moving experience to be there. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Well, I want to thank yeah. you so much, you know, for this wonderful conversation. And um, and I know you're probably are you also, you know, involved in the uh, Frida Kahlo that's coming in exhibit? No, I'm not. <laughs> that's my that's my colleague Hillary Alcott, and um, she's working really hard on getting it ready for for everyone to enjoy next week. We open um, on oh, the twentieth. Cool. Yeah. Whoa. Like you know. So well, come you come back. Miss a beat. <laughs> no, we're working really hard wow. over here. Yeah, and and does the um does the audio um uh tour that that the that the DeYoung that created is it going to have like um an online presence that people could listen to? Um Yeah. That's a good question. Um, the audio tour was something that we produced in mm-hmm. collaboration with uh a group called Antenna Audio. So if we want to explore oh. how to live later on, um, we just have to have that conversation. But I think there's some demand for it. So um, watch this nice. space. Yes, thank you. We mm-hmm. are the only venue that did an audio tour, interestingly. Are you serious? What? Yes, totally. Oh. So I'm well, glad, wow. glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always enjoy them. They're always so well done. Um, and it just helps. You know, to I mean, I I think I spent three hours there um, on wow. Saturday, and I spent a couple of hours the first time about a month before that, and I'm gonna come back and see it one more time because it's not gonna be the same. Where's it going next? <laughs> oh, um, it's traveling next to the very last venue, the sixth and final venue is the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, and just as we had. Uh, we had to deal with the issue of where was the Bay Area and adding a little bit of a Bay Area story where we could. Our colleague in mm-hmm. Houston, Kanitra um, Fletcher, she's thinking about a similar problem, which is how does she add a Southern perspective, a Texas perspective, and I'm excited to see what she does. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this yeah. is really rich. She's going to have a. She's probably having a good time. You know, just trying so. to figure out how to how to work it out. Yeah, I think her problem yeah, well, is there's just too much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> wow. Well, thanks again, Lauren. Um, well, thank for the you so much, Wanda. And uh, yeah, yeah, and congratulations on this wonderful um, exhibition and stop, you know, in the um, in the you know the national and international tour. Thank you so much. Um, we look forward to welcoming you in our last week. Okay, super. Thank you. All right. Be well. <laughs> Take good care. Bye. You thanks. Too. Bye. Mm-hmm.
So now we're going to finish up this song um, that I didn't play all of for you because um, it's so nice um, uh, with uh, Kahil El Zabar. Black is back. And I wanted to mention that um, admission to the museum is is free. Um, however, there is a cost for the um, Soul of a Nation exhibition. Um, yeah, there's a cost. <laughs> and so um, go online and see what that is so you can start saving your pennies. But it is totally worth it.
Don't be afraid. Black is back. But then black never went anywhere anyway, right? So that was Cahil El Zabar and the Ethnic Heritage Ensemble out of Chicago. And uh, we are going to close with a rebroadcast of the February 14th show, which includes an interview with Laurie Lane Ellis and Kendra Kimbrough um, Barnes 
and uh, they are the co-founders of the Black Choreographers Festival Here and Now, which is has which had its 16th anniversary season. It closed last weekend. Yes, you can cry. It was awesome, and um, Black Choreographers Festival um, founders and directors are getting the um, Isadora Duncan Award, the Izzy Award. Next week, uh, March 24th, 6 to 7.30 at Brava Theater in San Francisco. It's a free event. So you want to be in the house and see who else is going to be honored. And um, Dr. Halifa Oshimare, who had, who, who was the creator of Black Choreographers Moving into the 21st Century, she is going to be um, presenting the award to, to these uh, two wonderful women and there are also going to be some performances, and one of them is um, performances is by um, um, a, a dancer who performed uh, as a part of the um, Black Choreographers Festival um, closing weekend, and uh, it was um, uh, it was called um, uh, Wheel in a Field, and it was uh, Babatunde. Babatunji Johnson, who was performing, and he is also going to be performing um, at this awards event, awards ceremony. So if you missed him or if you really liked him, um, you have an opportunity to see him again uh, performing. So so anyway, uh, just a little heads up. And then tomorrow there's a fundraiser for um, by the um, uh, Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. It's going to be at, um, I think, St. John of the Shipwreck um, in Berkeley tomorrow. And uh, Devorah Major is one of the presenters. And uh, Tongo Eisen Martin is another one of the poets presenting. And there's going to be an open mic, too. And so you could just go to the website for Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. Uh, one of the uh, beneficiaries of the fundraiser um, is the um, uh Actually, it's also an anniversary of um, President Aristide returning to to Haiti to IET. But um, one of the beneficiaries is the university that he established. Um, I think it's a medical school, and uh, and then there are farmers um, that are going to be able to um, get monetary support through the fundraiser. And uh, you know, as usual, you know, no one is turned away for lack of funds. But uh, it would be great if you could. You know, add a few um, silent money to to the uh, to the basket, and and we also want to uh, offer our condolences to the family of Dr. Ray Richardson, who made her transition last month. She um, and her husband uh, Julian Richardson were the uh, the founders of Marcus Books, the oldest black bookstore in the nation, and uh, yeah, and uh, Walter. Um, um, Walter Turner had a really wonderful um, conversation with um, Dr. Um, Obadashaka yesterday on uh, Africa Today, so you can you can listen to that in the archive. So yesterday was, just in case you're listening to this later, <laughs> was March 9th, and Africa Today comes on KPFA 94.1 FM and online as well on on uh, Monday evenings at 7 p.m. following the news. So I wonder we just want to give you a heads up on that. And then Pierre Laboursier, um, founder of um, um, 
of the uh, Haiti Action um, and now um, Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, he spoke about the fundraiser tomorrow, uh, which is the 11th, and uh, and gave an update on what's happening in Haiti now. And you know, 10 years, um, it's been 10 years since the earthquake. It's like, wow, 10 years. Went really, it seems to have gone really quickly, um, but there was a lot of mismanagement of the funds and outright um, theft, and so people are not where they were prior to the uh, the earthquake at this point, you know, a decade later. So there's going to be an update as well um, on what's going on in Haiti presently. All righty. So we are going to replay, we're going to rebroadcast this interview with um, Laura and Kendra, and um, it's not the first first conversation, so hopefully there's enough time for you able to be able to hear it all. But if not, you can always go to the website, Wanda's Picks, uh, no, blogtalkradio.com <laughs> forward slash Wanda's hyphen picks and, um, and, and listen to the show um, it first aired on February 14th. All righty. Thanks so much for listening. Peace and blessings.
Good morning and welcome to Wanda Six, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Amakela uh, Gaston singing Lovely Day. And I thought, oh, what a great way to start um, the show for this day for lovers, Valentine's Day. And um, we are so excited to have on the show one of the founders or the founder of the Black Joy Parade, Alicia. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? Happy Valentine's oh, Day. Happy Lovers Day. Happy Valentine's <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day to you. Oh my goodness. So gosh, I've been wanting to speak to you for a minute now. And what year is it for the Black Joy Parade? It is year three. Third year. Ah. <laughs> congratulations. Wow. Thank nice. you. Very nice. Much. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself and and how, you know, you and your team came to start this tradition in Oakland, and it's going to be Sunday, <laughs> uh, February 23rd, and uh, yeah, give us all of the details. Well, first tell us about Black Joy, you know, something that, yeah. you know, we don't think about enough. What does it mean to be have <laughs> joy, right? Joy is more than happiness. Joy is yes, something that... Is you know, sustains a person, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, joy is um, appreciation for all that you already are, I think. Mm. Um, I, there's a, so much pressure in our community, in our culture, to be to fight the good fight, to be a, um, a resistance, to push back uh, on all of the things that are sort of holding our community back, and that's really tiring. <laughs> and that, and mm-hmm. that's really exhausting. Um, but we also have so much to celebrate in what we do have and what we have built and the creativity and the excellence and the beauty um, and the love that we share among each other just naturally because we are the culture that we are, because we are the community that we are, and that's joy. And that's what Black Joy is. That's what Black Joy Parade is. It's a celebration of our community for no other reason other than how great we are. Um, we don't have to dress a certain way or be a certain way or come with a you know a, a political message or you know, you are enough, 
um, you are beautiful as you are, um, as a black community, as a mother, as a father, as a child, as a friend, as an ally. Um, and that's, and, you know, and that's what the day is for. It's, a, it's like a big party <laughs> for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, wow. It's, it's just, you know, just to get together, you know, without an agenda, just, just right. come in, come in your, you know, all of who you are, you know, whatever way you show mm-hmm. up is good. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. There's, there is no agenda, but there, the agenda is you, I guess. Right, right, um, right, and that's all. Yeah, that's all that we ask. Mhm, mhm, mhm. Yeah, it's 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 a day where, you know, black is in. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is the topic of the day. Yeah. <laughs> mhm. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, are you are you from Oakland, um, the Bay Area? I'm originally from Sacramento area, which. Some will okay. say it's the day, but we we know that it is not really. Um, and I moved here in my 20s and have been living here off and on ever since. Um, and Oakland's mm-hmm. just a very special place. I think for a lot, a lot of people can identify with the warmth they feel in Oakland, but also on the other mm-hmm. side, the changes that are happening. So it's important that as a black community, we make our presence felt and known in a really positive way here um, because it's a city that um, has held us for a long time and I hope continues to hold us into the future. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And then having this Black Joy Parade um, is also <laughs> like, we're still here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Safekeeping, as they say. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, you know, 20,000 people in the streets of Oakland, downtown Oakland, like, you know, city center area. Um, mm-hmm. It's a beautiful sight. Right, right. And the weather is always wonderful. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's early, you know, it's. Yeah, tell us about, you know, some of the vendors and some of the special aspects of this year and years past and some of the highlights, like what makes your heart warm and all those kinds of things. (laughs) Give us us a little flavor. So it's, uh, like you said, it's a beautiful day, if only because of the smiles, if only because of the brown skin and the white smiles. Um, And Mm -hmm. it's uh, a parade at first, and so, you know, there's more than 1,000 people in the parade and all different kinds of just imagine the creativity of our community. You know, that's what the parade is. You know, dancing and costumes and um, bikes and cars and, and just like all the things that bring us joy and, and, and sort of hold our excellence and hold our creativity. Um, and then it opens to a festival, which I think this year we have 187 black-owned vendors, which is all the things that they're creating for you. You know, it's all these small businesses and entrepreneurs um, who who create with us in mind but don't always have access to um us as you know consumers so that's a really beautiful thing there's also um, black owned wineries um, there's black food trucks there's and then we have stages of some better known artists um, and DJs and it's just a beautiful day it's open it's free as well so you're going to see all different ages of people it's not like just millennials or just families or just older people it runs the gamut and um, it, it almost feels like a giant family reunion. I see all my friends that I haven't seen in, you know, three or four months or even longer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and because it's all ages, there's this, like, beautiful cross-generational thing happening um, where you get to, you know, I think the only other times really where we're with multiple generations like that was is probably church, right, or sad mm-hmm. times, mm-hmm. funerals, um, you know. So being able to be a collective that way. Um, in a space that is made for us, that is welcoming and loving, and um, you feel safe to really be yourself in. Um, it, th- those are always the highlights for me. 
there's performances and all this other cool stuff that happens. But I think just seeing everybody in that space and feeling so warm and loved and welcomed and celebrated, uh, yeah, it's just, it's visually always really uh, stands out in my mind every year, just all the smiles and the hugs, you know. And, and honestly, too, <laughs> mm-hmm. sometimes you're just so happy. <laughs> you're just so happy to have a place to just be joyful. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you shed tears of joy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, yeah. So were you just sort of sitting around in your living room or at the park <laughs> meditating? Um, you know, I mean, like, come you know, this wonderful celebration of, of black beingness. Yeah, um, so I had moved away for a little bit, and then I moved back. Um, and when I moved back, I had attended a couple of uh, protests because there was mm. just a lot going on. It continues to be a lot going on in, in politics that's harming the black community, um, you know, with just the way that our society is sort of not recognizing and, and, and you know, holding safe or, you know, keeping safe our community. And I realized that that was when I was seeing the most black people. That's when I was seeing the most community, the biggest community, thousands of people, but it was always a protest. And it just felt like there has to be another reason that we get together in mass like this. There has to be another reason that we gather. Um, can we gather just because we can? And Black mm-hmm. Joy Parade was born. I think I sort of identified that and then told a few people and then they told a few people and then they told a few people. <laughs> um, and then, the, you know, and that, that's, you know, that's how it goes. I mean, the first year there was a lot of people there um, because I think everybody realized the same thing, um, that we were only getting together when we were in tragedy, you know, in, in times of mourning. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it kind of just grew from the ground up. Um, it's only our third year, but I think that, between all the vendors and all the people in the parade and all the performers and all the people that help organize it and volunteers, you know, if everybody brings one person to celebrate Black Joy, then it becomes big, even bigger than the protests and even bigger than the this, like, sort of burst of positivity in our year. So, yeah, it, um, it was really organic. It wasn't out of nowhere, but it also wasn't, um, you know, really planned out in that way. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So there certainly must have been some kind of a need that, uh, yeah. Just sort of articulating black joy as you know something that we can embody physically with other people, <laughs> you know, in a time when, wow, do I really want to get together, um, you know, in this place, you know, because you know sort of gathers. I mean, people don't gather that much anymore, um, and and for us to like intentionally come together around something good like joy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then also to um to identify, you know, with you know, our African selves, you know, at a time when in this country it's never been really popular to be a black person. Um right. and if a person could could sort of like disappear into whiteness because perhaps physically they had that kind of ambiance, you know, that kind of like, Oh, I can I can you know, I can multi, I can be in multiple communities and nobody would actually know how I'm showing up because unless I tell them, you know, a lot of times yeah. people disappear and don't don't acknowledge their blackness because it's, you know, sometimes it's dangerous and sometimes right. it's, it's politically, you know, um, not advantageous to do something like mm-hmm. that. When here's like, you know, like bring all of yourself. And, and as yep. people of African descent, you know, it's just like black joy, like, oh, is that a black person? 
You know, but yeah, that is a black person. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody, is, the whole yeah, world shows up when we celebrate Black Joy, right? Because you know, just because the way our community has developed, yeah, you know, yeah. you never know. You know, like, oh, that that Asian person, person, a black, yeah. You know, is that mm-hmm. indigenous mm-hmm. person? Like, yeah. yeah. Is that I person mean, that looks like he's created the most? You know, our community, <laughs> our culture, like we're we're the creators, right? We're the mm-hmm. creators of yes. all these things. Um, yes. And sometimes we don't even get a chance to appreciate all the things we've created that we've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're so busy defending other things and defending ourselves often, and um, mm-hmm. protecting ourselves. And so, let's come and celebrate all the things we've made together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, tell us about, um, you know, can you drop some names of some of those folks that are going to be on that stage? Um, I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> any, any... <laughs> I do feel guilty. <laughs> feel guilty. They're working so hard to figure it out. Um, they're working so hard to get those schedules together. Um, and also, I think, have variety on our stages so that it's not, you know, that we elevate, you know, voices of black women. Um, voices of black queer community make sure that there's mu- you know that there's all different kinds of music on there it's not just hip-hop and r&b but so can we get some jazz can we get live instruments can we get poetry and spoken word can we get dance like how can we make sure that the entirety of the black community is represented so that again to your point like we can feel comfortable um, being our full selves and so no i cannot but uh they will be they will be dropping it soon so if you follow us on Instagram or Facebook, um, I think by Monday, they'll probably be comfortable with me talking about it. Okay. Um, so tell us um, about some um, of these uh, performances in the past that, like, for instance, last year, yeah. um, you know, 2019 yeah. was a big year for black folks insofar as, you know, the uh, <laughs> um, the Commission for African American History, um, you know, the 1619, yeah. 2019, you know, big year for this country to acknowledge yeah. Uh, our presence, um, you know, po- post, you know, slavery, post-slavery, um, not that, you know, we don't have a history prior to that, but in this nation, that's that's how we're known. Um, yeah, so tell us about, you know, 2019, yeah. some of the high points. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, something really special from last year is we introduced something called the Best in Slow Award, and that is granted to four organizations that bring the most joy and creativity to the parade. And so last year was the inaugural year, and the winner was a group called the 100 Unit, and they'll be back again this year. They're this ridiculously dope group of black women, um, dance, I guess you could call them dance troupe, but I, they're like a positive army. I don't even know. They're so they're so dope. And they won last mm-hmm. year, and, and they'll, they're coming back again this year, and, you know, this is something you're definitely going to see. They have a whole theme this year. Last year our headliner was T-Pain on the stage, and he just, like, again, united all the generations, <laughs> you know, brought us all out together um, and was so beautiful. Another thing I think that's coming back for the third year um, is Hennessy curates this beautiful lounge for us, um, has special made cocktails, black bartenders, um, also has music and art in it as well. So that is coming back again. Um, Facebook sponsors one of our stages, and that's a community stage, and so we do a lot of work to make sure we get some local acts up there, um, some people that really are, you know, doing it for the people. Like, do, they're, it's not just about music. It's, a, it's an art form for them. It's, like, sort of their expression of joy. So that is coming back again. Um, yeah, it's it's like a 
every year you never know, right? Um, you know, for mm-hmm. example, the first couple years we had a bunch of um, bone dominoes tables set out so people can play, and huh. it was so popular. Now yeah. where it's like now we have even more tables, um, so people, you know, it's it's something a lot of people are into. It's you know, it's strategy. It's it's their joy, and so things mm-hmm. happen organic. You know, we. We never mm-hmm. we plan for things, but then the day of we don't even know what the community is gonna do with it, like how it's gonna um, grow and thrive. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really beautiful. Uh, another thing is like, you know, you can come as you are. There's no sort of dress code or anything like that. But we do have a station called Crown Your Joy where you can make a headdress for yourself if you want. If you want to get real festive, um, there's just all kinds of different things to do there and all kinds of ways to be with our people and connect with each other. So. Um, you know, we plan a lot of stuff, but a lot of it just happens. <laughs> we don't even know. Mm. We don't even know what's <laughs> going to go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's an element of improvisation and in, in within the joy. Yes. yes there's absolutely. room for that. And, then, and that's mm-hmm. what you bring. You know, that's what the people that come bring. We can only, you know, we can set up the space and we can, you know, facilitate, I guess as they say. But uh, at the end of the day, the joy is from all the people that come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what time does the parade start? Like, where where does it? Well, you know, where do you line up? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, the parade starts at twelve thirty. Um, you know, registration for the parade is now closed. It's really full. There's lots and lots of people in it, but it starts at twelve thirty um, on Fourteenth and Harrison um, is where people can start setting up to watch it. I would say get there early. You know, there the streets get pretty full, and if you want a you know a good seat, or if you just want to stand, that's fine too. Bring a chair. You know, bring some drinks. Like bring the family. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. The parade is about a mile long. It goes to um, around 19th and 20th, uh, right between 19th and 20th and Broadway, which is also the opening to the celebration, to the festival part of it. So after the parade, you can like mosey on in and, you know, grab your, grab something to eat, you know, visit all the vendors, watch the performances, you know, all the spaces. There's going to be a lot of activity there and that will go until like seven o'clock at night. So it's a whole day. And it's, like I said, it's family friendly. Um, It's young people friendly. It's, you know, queer friendly. It's, uh, it's all to come as you can, you know, come see the whole parade, come to stay for the whole time, or just come to the parade. Like, it's it's really up to you, but it starts at 1230, um, and it starts very promptly, so <laughs> make sure that you're on time if you want to see the parade. Mm, no nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Do you still need volunteers? We do, we do. Um, volunteering is only three-hour shift, so it's really short, and you get a free shirt, a free Black Joy Parade shirt, and lunch. Um, if you're interested in volunteering, you can go to blackjoyparade.org. There's a sign-up sheet there. It couldn't happen without volunteers, and we definitely need some more. And so please come. Volunteers do everything from, you know, help usher people down the parade to bartend, to sell merch for us, to um, just help vendors set up. You know, a lot of the vendors we have are individual people. They're running a whole thing just by themselves, and sometimes they just need help, like, carrying some things or, like, sorting items. So it's also a cool way to get to know some of the local um, local business owners and community organizers if you're interested in doing more in, in, in Oakland and the Bay Area. So Sign up to volunteer, please, please, please. Just go to our website. It's really, really simple, and we'll get you set up. <laughs> cool, super, super. And um, I wanted to ask you about your team. I want you to give a shout out to yeah. your team because they <laughs> look really beautiful on your website. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, those pictures were taken by a beautiful ally named Lisa Keating. She's an incredible photographer here in the Bay Area. Um, my team is a gift, a gift from God. They are 
so talented. It's crazy. I have no idea how I could convince them all to come and join this little ragtag crew. Um, but yeah, the team also, you know, all live here in the Bay. Um, all uh, very committed to bringing you and our community joy. So if you see somebody walking around and you recognize their picture from the website, please thank them for all the work they do. Um, I, I mean, I could name them all, I guess, uh, but there's so there's quite a few of them, and they know who they are. And, um, and the team <laughs> continues to grow. So if you're interested in helping, like, come on and join. Um, yeah, there is mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. Right. And is this um, is Black Joy um, Parade phenomena? Phenomenon. Um, is it is it year long now? Like planning for it, or do you just sort of bunker down like uh, yeah. three months in advance and then you just do it? Yeah. Or do you have a what you call day job? Or like, did you go to school? Uh-huh. You know, as an organizer, like how how do you do something oh, like a Black yeah. Joy Parade? Um, <laughs> it is it is almost year round planning. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, this 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 week is crazy because it's next Sunday. Um, but it is some year-round planning, and you know we, we start to do some things that are beyond just Black Joy Parade. I mean, even this week we've got a brunch on Saturday um, with the Black Panther Party that we're hosting. We're doing a cool cocktail crawl on Friday. We're doing a party at Era. You know, we're doing all these things that lead up to so Black Joy Parade, like the culmination of this beautiful month. But there's all sort of like Black Joy events happening. Um, and yeah, I, I do. I'm a marketing strategist, so I do for a living. Also, everyone on my team also has a quote-unquote day job. This is something we do out of the uh, kindness of our, the kindness of our heart, and because we get to experience it, you know, we get to experience all this joy. Um, but yeah, it, it is it is quite the planning. So <laughs> please come and support mm-hmm. us. Um, and again, it's free. You know, it's a free event because we want to make sure that everybody can come. That there's no barrier, economic barrier to come. Um, and so in that, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to raise that money, um, to get donations, you know, so we can make sure that we can provide all of the things. So if you're interested in supporting by donations, you can also do that on the website. Literally $5 helps the cause. It doesn't even have to be a lot. Um, so we can make sure that it continues to be free for everybody. Mm, nice, nice. And and when you mention these um, these uh, events that are, um, how does a person find out about them? Are they on your website? Um, yep. About the brunch yep. Saturday everything for the Black, Black Panther Joy Party. Parade. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. is on blackjoyparade.org. So you can go there, um, click events, and you'll see a list of all the things happening over the next you know two weeks. And then um, you, that's where you volunteer. You can also donate there. You can see about the team. Um, we try to make sure everything uh, is on the website. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We post a lot around all the things going on, um, lead-up events, tickets, volunteering, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, because um, I see um, um, you have um, Feed the Hood on, on Sunday. Yes, Sunday. From 7 to 8 yep, p.m. on Sunday. Yeah, that's going to be nice. Yeah, please mm-hmm. That's, that's a great really program. Beautiful. It's a great mm-hmm. program, and I think, you know, a lot of times we forget about the people in our community that don't necessarily have, you know, all the things they need to feel comfortable celebrating their joy, to feel comfortable being in that space. And so we try to, you know, work with organizations um, like the Feed the Hood so that we can make sure that um, they have what they need to to be able to celebrate their joy. So that's this Sunday um, in East Oakland. Again, you can find out about it on our website. Please join volunteer the morning we'll we'll assemble um you know food as well as hygiene kits um clothes and then we'll go out and distribute um and we're doing that with Abbott which is an amazing partner of ours 
as well as, um, you know, the Feed the Hood organization, um, the East Oakland organization. So please join us. Another thing that's happening is the day of the event, Lava May, which it provides free showers for people mm, that need it, yeah. um, are going to be mm. set up the morning before the parade. So if anybody listening um, feels like that's something that they need in order to feel welcomed and comfortable in the space, please go come down to Lava May, um, you know, get your clean on, and then you can, you know, do what you got to do for the day. So, again, just trying to make sure that everybody feels that it, you know, Black Joy is inclusive, that no one sort of feels mm -hmm. left out. of left out. And then um, I, I noticed that um, you have a um, – a Black Joy Parade and Hennessy Presents Black Joy Cocktail Crawl. That looks cute. On yes. Friday the 21st of February from 630 to yes. 9, that era that you mentioned already. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that'll yeah. be really beautiful. It's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> we have a bunch of right, yeah. Curated specifically mm -hmm. for us, so. Mm hmm Yeah. And then, and then tomorrow, um, people can actually um, make a custom headdress for Black Joy Parade from 1.30 to yep. 3.30. Yeah. And where yep. is that going to happen? Um, I actually, you know what, you're asking me a question that I do not know exactly where it's going to happen. Um, but I will. I can find out. If you go to our website, it will have all of the Yeah, that's, that's um, where I'm looking. All the um, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, but no, I didn't she, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm not positive and where it happened. Sorry about that. <laughs> I know oh, no there's problem. multiple well, locations. Also. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's um, where is it happening? Oh gosh. Um. I don't see the the location. Well, let's um, go. Let me go and uh, uh. Let me go and fix that then. No, I don't. See um, I'm pretty sure it's at Mannequin Madness. I'm. I think it's at Mannequin Madness on Cotton, in Oakland. But oh. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's gonna be fun because Nedra is teaching it. It's like wow, yeah. he is a phenomenal oh, artist. Yeah. Oh my I think gosh! Be able to see the ones that people that go to that at Black Joy Parade. Yeah, like, look at her. Yeah. Like, her hand looks like a queen. Yeah, they're oh, such definitely, definitely gonna look like a queen. Oh well, I gotta find the date, find the location for that one. I might have to go make mm -hmm. a, a beautiful Nedra, you know, hat adornment <laughs> um, <clears throat> for the following week. And then lastly, I was looking at uh, well two. The Melanin Drip by Afropolitan Group. Yes. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. And that's at 19th that Grand Avenue. That's also at the Arab Bar. Um, yeah. But that so looks really interesting. The cocktail crawl starts at Arab, but it's a crawl. So we'll move we'll move to other locations for different cocktails. It's, just, you know, we mm -hmm. go on a little journey together. Whereas Melanin okay. Drip is at Arab all night. Um, Afropolitan is an incredible group. If you've never done been to any of their events or done any work with them, um, they just bring, you know, it'll be beautiful Afrobeats for the night, crazy mix oh, of people. Um, nice. Um, it's going to be melanin drip. It's going to be beautiful. Um, so, again, it's just all this stuff leading up to the Black Joy Parade. Um, yeah, a whole, a whole week. It's, it's actually been a beautiful month so far. We've already done a bunch of stuff. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. What have we missed? You said you've already done a lot. This uh, is the 14th. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm an open an open mic on Monday, last Monday, um, with mm. Gold Beans and Lift, and that was um, to find the last person to grace our stages on Sunday. So we picked two people, um, one poet and one musician, um, hip hop act, um, and it was just a gorgeous night for local talent and just authentic performances, and that was really cool. We've already done one cocktail crawl. Um, this will be the, mm -hmm. the second and last one. Will be on Friday. 
So that's been really fun. Um, this weekend too, there's some stuff other than, you know, the Feed the Hood is going on as well. Um, there's just a, there's a lot happening. So, you know, in the future, our goal is to like have a whole month of stuff, right? A whole, it's not Black History yeah. Month anymore. It's Black Joy Month in Oakland. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, keep, keep up, keep following us and um, you know, come up with ideas if you want to do something cool as well. We're open. We're open to collaboration. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And then there's an after party on Sunday night. Yes. yes. And then there's an after party, yeah. And yeah, then for the grown party. folks. We'll do an after party. Yeah, <laughs> complex with toasted life. Um, that'll be it. The after party last two years has been just crazy because you're I think I'm tired I'm like I'm so tired you know the whole thing but then for some reason you just get you see your people you get all this energy and like <laughs> you, you keep it moving it's and it's Sunday so you think oh I'm not going to stay out but man I don't know we just get this burst of energy and you just end up staying out maybe take Monday mm-hmm. off work I advise that for a lot of people <laughs> well you know maybe what um, Black Joy could work on is you know the day after Black Joy is is mm-hmm. Black Joy Reflection Day, oh, and that's um, and and and, that's and so all Black people, you know, all all melanated people that claim African ancestry, you know, all the year, can can get you know that Reflection Day off, you know, just because you know yeah. to be a beginning of the reparations movement, right? Like for real, because <laughs> right. somebody's gonna okay. be paying you know, for our not being present. It won't be a sick leave day. It won't be a personal leave day. And if you don't have employment, then the government will give you, you know, uh, payment for that day for for you to be able to reflect on on the joy. (laughs) Wouldn't that be cool? That would be really cool. Because people are talking (laughs) about, you know, some of the legislators are talking about um, the, uh, this, um, this sort of standard, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, income, you know, that's that's funded by the government. That we all have a certain level of income, so that we don't have to work. You know, when we're 75 years old, we can actually, you know, retire around 50 or whatever and have have a good life. You know, that's productive and contributes to society. But, you know, we don't have to work ourselves to death. And if we have a guaranteed income, then we don't have to worry about that. So this would be sort of. Uh, maybe sort of looking at a guaranteed income, but also sort of looking at reparations, you know, because of our ancestors, but also just sort of being able to, like, be able to reflect on that spirit of joy because, you know, while you're in it, it's like, oh, this is so wonderful. And then you want to have a day to be able to think about it, but then you have to get back into the swing of things that take you out of the swing of things, so to speak, the thing you were enjoying the day before. Yeah, I oh, anyway. think I love that. I love that idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm writing it down. Yeah. Right now. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so maybe, maybe I'll join you and work on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. yeah. Well, Alicia, it's been so lovely. Congratulations yeah, on three lovely. years. Oh, my goodness. I know. Oh, it's yeah, crazy. definitely. Crazy, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's good. It's, um, thank you for having yeah. me. Thank you for allowing me the space to speak about this. I hope to see all of your listeners as well as yourself mm-hmm. there. Right, yes. Black joy, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, all know. year long. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. Carter G. Woodson, and we have 29 days this year. Like, mm hmm. I say, I say. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. 
Well, thank you so much for your good work. And, uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to being joyful with you on the 23rd. Thank you. And maybe sooner. Yeah. <laughs> and happy Monday. Maybe this Sunday. Happy Monday. If I can get it, get yeah. it together, come out to feed the hood. All righty. You take good care. Have a good rest of the day, and good luck on all the planning. Much success. Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. Peace and blessings. You too. So we are, gosh, I have so many announcements. <clears throat> There's so much happening. Oh, my goodness. You know, tomorrow um, there is the, the wonderful uh, conversation with uh, Dr. Ronoka Rashidi and uh, Brother um, uh, Tony Broder about all things African and African diaspora at Impact Hub Oakland. Um, yeah, that's going to be tomorrow. Gosh, what time does that start? I think it starts at... <laughs> I got a couple of dates, um, but it's on WandaSix.com, so you can find it there. But I think it's eight o'clock. That's going to be awesome. And then tomorrow is also um, a uh, memorial for our beloved uh, scholar artist um, uh, who um, who made his transition. Um, you know, and I didn't even know um, that he was sick. Um, and uh, that's going to be at the African American Museum and Library, and that's going to be really, really beautiful. Um, a tribute to uh, Ben Hazard. Um, he taught um, at Laney College. I think he's responsible for the the building of those studios because I don't think there are any um, any. I think most community colleges don't have studios, but at Laney College, they have there are art studios for students which is really innovative, and I think that was a project that um, Ben Hazard uh, worked on. And he also start, started and established a um, um, an African-American um, uh, art history course there. I think he developed it, and he taught it for many years, and uh, and now um, <clears throat> it's being taught, you know, by, by one of them. Um, um uh his proteges um but uh yeah that's a that's a um a uh a class that that he that he started and i was looking for the details about the um <clears throat> about the memorial tomorrow so that you can know what time it is let's see um yeah um <clears throat> Because he was he was just such a phenomenal man, and even if you didn't know him, um, you could still you know come out to honor him. The uh, the tribute is four to seven p.m. tomorrow, and again it's at the African American Museum and Library, six five nine Fourteenth Street. And um, let's see, uh, the hosts are Harriet Wright, Florine Wiley, Denise Page, Cheryl Fabio, and the African American Museum and Library, and. Uh, it's going to be really, really packed, but he is certainly worth worth the uh, ah wow worth our you know that you know worth everything that you know all of the accolades because he was such a beautiful man and such a wonderful person and such a phenomenal artist. Oh my gosh, his work was just simply simply gorgeous. Um, yeah, so you could do that, and you can then go on over to um, Impact Hub Oakland for the event. Uh, with the two scholars, <laughs> they are just so phenomenal. Oh my goodness, that's going to be just—it's oh, going to be so good. 
And uh, so anyway, I was thinking um, while we wait for our next guest to join us, oh, dang, I didn't realize it was so late. Oh, my goodness, the time is just ticking away, that I wanted to play a little bit of an interview with Amakela Gaston. I'm not going to replay it all because we don't have enough time. But I can play a little bit of it because, you know, we're talking about, you know, joy, black joy. We're talking about love. And um, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful interview that I had with her um, um, many years ago. And um, and and what happened, what she talks about in the interview, um, she's going to be having a concert. So that's not happening because this is older. This was... Um, this interview happened six years ago, July 26, six years ago. So so anyway, whatever we're talking about as far as an event, that's not happening. <laughs> but um, but when she was injured um, intentionally, it was, uh, it was um, a deliberate um, injury by someone against her because of how she shows up in the world, you know, a woman of African descent. And what she chose to do in response once she healed is just really a beautiful story. So here we are. Well, Alma Kayla, I'm so happy that uh, we're talking this morning and you have this great concert, uh, Spirits Lifted, a musical mm-hmm. celebration featuring mm-hmm. yourself as special guest with John Santos on Sunday, tomorrow, July 27th at 3 at Eastside <laughs> Cultural Center in Oakland. So tell me about this first-time collaboration between the two of you. Actually, gratefully, it's not our first time collaboration. Mm-hmm. He was on my album, Being in Love. Is he it? was on several of the tracks. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is a percussionist on several of the tracks, and he's just truly an inspiration and one of my most favorite people. He's one of the first people I met when I moved out to the Bay Area, and he's so sweet and so powerful and gifted and giving. I actually met him at jazz camp. Mm-hmm. I moved out here, I put my bags down, and Ran out to jazz camp for a week, and he was there, and he taught me a lot of things um, with respect to rhythm and percussion and singing a lot of these Afro-Cuban songs, which you'll hear if you come on Sunday to the show. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so were you at jazz camp recently? Because I know you, you've been just getting back from, from teaching this past week. Yes. Actually, I teach the uh, younger kids' version, which is called Jam Camp. Jam so camp. How cute. Jam Camp is really <laughs> cute. So it's Jam Camp from ages 10 to 14, or actually 10 to 15, and then once they turn 15, then they go to jazz camp. Mm. And it's exquisite. It's a chance to be with, you know, the young folk out in the woods that are creative and experiencing all these things for the first time and learning about the power of their voice and the power of expression and, you know, sharing that in a safe space with other adults who are also creative and their peers and meeting a new group of people and watching them explode and and expand their horizons and basically blossom in front of your eyes. It's 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 great. (laughs) (laughs) How many how many children were at jam camp uh this year? Almost 200. There were quite a few. 200. That's a lot of children. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a big number. (laughs) It was between 150 and 200. Yes, it was a lot of kids. And they had a great time. They were very respectful, you know, raised right. (laughs) And choosing that, choosing art instead of violence. Right, right. And bullying. They were all very respectful and very kind to one another. Mm -hmm. It was very refreshing to see. 
Yeah, that's sort of a great segue into um, your program. You know, you're founder and director of the International Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences Institute. Yeah. And you travel the world as a cultural ambassador, furthering surprising connections in unexpected places through the arts, activism, and advocacy. And I was reading um, that, uh, you know, as... um, you know, a uh, person who promotes healing through the arts, you've you've actually um, been quite a few places. Why don't you talk about that? Because one of those places is Palestine. Yes. In Israel. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was actually a really, really incredible trip. Um, I went uh, at the behest of the State Department, mm-hmm. and so I collaborate with the State Department and the U.S. Embassy, and I go to these places that are usually war-torn with at-risk populations, with the youth, and trying to promote, um, like you said, arts and advocacy and getting kids to play the drum instead of make a bomb. That's really the goal. And one of the kids in that program, I was with them for, gosh, three or four weeks, and at first they were very hesitant to believe that someone from the United States could be there for them and love them and we had a lot of very deep conversations about politics and what it means to be from America and how you can be an American and not necessarily agree with the politicians that represent your country mm-hmm. um and one of the kids came up to me afterwards literally said to me you have changed my mind about wanting to become a unibomber i'd rather play the drum which is why i said that phrase before about taking drums over there and getting them to express themselves through banging on a drum and talk about their inner rage that they have because they're frustrated and have that be a way for them to express themselves as opposed to blowing something up. Mm-hmm. And so it was very moving and and a, and a reignition for me to do the hard work, be a foot soldier on the front line of this thing called life and working with youth and, you know, being a kid these days is hard and messy and confusing and there's so many ways that they're forced to become adults through the internet. They know they're exposed to anything and everything way earlier than they used to be. And so, you know, we have to contend with that and we have to still embrace everything that they're questioning and going through and give them another outlet. And one of the best outlets is freedom of expression through the arts. So that's what I go around the world promoting. Yeah. How um how did you how did you come to this work? Um it was I believe through uh, you know something really tragic happening to you personally. Mhm. <clears throat> um I actually was uh, a victim of a hate crime. I was run over by a truck by a guy who um didn't like black people and ran me over and I was in the hospital for almost a year and a half and mm-hmm. I was a third-degree burns all over my body, and the only thing that helped me through the pain was music. And not just any music off the radio, very intentional music that was focused on almost a drone kind of, um, not necessarily monotone, but like multi-layered, non-lingual music, you know, lots of chanting and drumming and very heavy harmonics and was very powerful when I could I would wake up out of a deep sleep or trance at the minute the music went off 
and I was like, there was something to that. There was something to that for me, and, and I, I really needed to explore that further. And then I was invited by the Dalai Lama to come sing at the International uh, Festival for Sacred Chanting and Singing, and I was blessed to be able to be chosen, one out of the six people in, in the world, to go sing for him. And I sang my songs for him, and we had a very deep connection, and he, you know, gave me the courage and the charge to create something that would continue this work. And so I created this institute, um, ICASI, the Institute for Cultural Arts and Healing Sciences. And <clears throat> it's one of those things where it magically blossomed out in front of me. It's like the world opened up and wanted it to be. And so it's just been amazing how I've been able to live this dream life, go around the world and make music and sing and be with women and children who, you know, don't have a voice and want to be heard and seen and we're able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, wow, so amazing. You know, this uh, these past few years, there have been so many 50th anniversary of this act and mm -hmm. 40th anniversary of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is the summer of the 50th anniversary of Freedom Summer, you know, when all mm. those students, you know, mm -hmm. in the north and the south uh, came together in, you know, in the southern states to register people to vote, and there was That's a lot right. of tragedy involved in that, and, um, and right. yeah, yeah, and then we look at, you know, sort of the, the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act and the erosion of, of voter rights throughout the nation. On, on the mm. anniversary, the 50th anniversary of all mm -hmm. of that. And then mm -hmm. we think about our dear sister, Fannie Lou Hamer. Oh, my goodness. Mm. What she suffered to be able to exercise her um, democratic rights as a citizen. I was wondering sort of as you uh, sort of reflect, you know, in your work and in your life on some of these monumental moments because you're, you know, you're from the East Coast. Are you are you from D.C.? or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's one of the suburbs of D.C., but, yeah, I grew up in D.C., and it's just, I'm, hey, big shout-out to East Coast. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's an interesting time. I grew up, and my parents were activists, and we went to every march that we could march on. And it's 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 a very different time. I remember as I was leaving D.C., I did a big march on Washington, and it was very different from when I grew up. It was very controlled and contained, and you had to get a permit to march, and, you know, there was no initial impetus of why marching was invented or why it was utilized as a form of rebellion that was still in place. Like, you couldn't shut down anything if you have to get a permit. So, every, you know, it was already the streets were blocked off, and there was no change that was instilled or that you could have some kind of effect on because everything was already pre-planned. And so I think that, you know, as we continue to evolve and grow as as a people, we need to find another way to have conversations about the need for justice still, the need for people to recognize that, that we still don't have all of our rights and they're being taken away and a lot of people don't even know that that's happening. Like they're being, it's, it's almost like a dream state that's fallen over people. And people it used to be informed about it because people were singing about it. But now there's None of that either. You know, we're still, you know, caught up in singing about purchasing cars and 
buying things and we're not talking about the core issues about our rights. And I think that if we don't hurry up and get through the fear of talking about those hard conversations, because a lot of kids these days don't want to hear it. And I know when I was a kid, I was like, oh, gosh, do we have to talk? We have to go march again for civil rights. Uh, you know, it, was, it's, it takes work to come out of your comfort zone and go march about something and care about something and fight for something. And we have to truly put down our computers and our cell phones and everything else and get out on the streets and do it again. And don't get a permit to do it. You know, and bring your children out there and keep sharing the information. Otherwise, it'll get lost. I was surprised at how many kids don't know who Fannie Lane Lamer is. Mm. It's not being taught in our schools anymore. And so there's only so long that we can continue to carry that torch to reflect on the importance of this. You know, when kids don't feel like their vote counts for anything anyway, it doesn't matter anyway. They don't feel the need to have it in place. And so if we if we can't express that to them and get them to get that, then it will go away and we'll have no recourse once it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary thought. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, I was just looking at some of the um, the places that, you know, your work has taken you um, and, uh, you know, your music as medicine, healing with an artful purpose, programming, uh, multifaceted therapeutic approach through music movement and theater modalities. Mm-hmm. And you've been to Cuba, China, Taiwan, Africa, um, mm-hmm. specifically where in Africa? Because uh, I know this. Sierra that. Leone. It <laughs> uh, okay. was my latest trek. It was beautiful. Oh, really? Like this year? Uh, actually, just last summer. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, one of the things that we also really need to talk about and get active about is our environment. When I was in Sierra Leone, mm-hmm. they had an area of town that they didn't want me to see because, you know, when you come from the States and you're going to hang out with the prime minister, they kind of want to keep you on the the pretty side of town. But I really wanted to see where the people were. And so I asked to be taken where that was. And the area that they took me was where they burned all of the plastic bottles from all the water that people drank. And it was toxic. You couldn't breathe the air. And the poor people had to live there. There was no other place for them to live. And they were burning these plastic bottles, just mountains of plastic bottles, on the beach next to the ocean. And Of course, I was crying and outraged and, you know, not only outraged for the people that had to suffer the toxic fumes of this, but also looking at the fact that it's going right into the water, right there. So any fish that you got from that area, any food supply, right there was going to be filled with all these toxins. And, you know, their answer was, we don't have any other place to put it. We don't know what else to do with all of these water bottles that come from hotels, from all the tourists that come to this area. You know, it's just a cycle that we have to really figure out the answer to. And we can't just give it lip service. We have to sit down and really figure it out. What are we going to do about this? And so we have to think about it. We have to talk about it. So to me, I took all of that information, came back, put it in a song, and got people activated about it. Mm. And so now we're trying to form different movements and different ways to really Talk to people who can make a difference. Take these songs to the hill. Take these songs back to the East Coast. Give people who can change laws, talk about it in the U.N., really get them thinking about <laughs> the fact that this is not invisible, that it's happening, and we see it, and we know it, and we want to talk about it and fix it. Mm-hmm. 
Did uh, whether <clears throat> were the refugee all stars in town when you were there? No, they were here performing. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. I was upset about that. I was like, no. <laughs> Poor planning on my part. <laughs> uh, yeah, they are so phenomenal. Um, Aren't they incredible? They're yeah. incredible. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, it takes a whole bunch of, we need to all be out there. And the arts is the best way mm-hmm. to bring all these things to light. And they're out there talking that talk. They're bringing it to the forefront mm-hmm. through yeah. great music. Right, exactly. And, um, yeah, the latest um, uh they call it the latest tour. It's called the Libation World Tour. And uh, so mm. just think about pouring libations to the ancestors and libations. Mm. So just invoking those those spirits because um, we definitely need to call on the ancestors at this particular yes, time do. in our history yes, as a planet and as a people. That's right. Yeah, so talk about... Um, some of your your music since we last spoke was <laughs> being in love was was the CD that we were in conversation about and that was just so lovely and you were like you know bringing the roots music like you always do and um, <laughs> I hear you're gonna be bringing the roots you and John together it's gonna be like oh what an invocation on Sunday yeah. at Eastside my goodness both of you yeah. all together ah <laughs> it's very person yeah. oh my gosh you will need to like you know where where those healing stones to be in a life so they don't float away. <laughs> so they're the ground them, right? <laughs> ground those chakras. Otherwise you're gonna have them like floating <laughs> you know, like that uh feather that um uh the goddess Ma'at, you know, is represented by, you know, balance and justice. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am so there. And oh, I love Ma'at. <laughs> well, <coughs> Uh, you were asking me about the upcoming music that's coming up for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of things on the horizon, excitedly. Uh, the first one is the release of my uh, album from the Kennedy Center called Lush, which is live at the Kennedy Center. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the tracks that I uh, gave to you called Nature Boy, and that okay. covers some more um, beautiful jazz standards. Um, but I'm also in creation with a lot of Afro-Cuban artists, and we're going to make a beautiful kind of spirit chant album that incorporates a lot of jazz as well, mm-hmm. and the blues, and really get down into kind of the root structure of, you know, that root jazz that we love, and get that sound vibration going, and heal from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Lush will be released in the fall. And hopefully that next CD will be released in the spring, but I'll keep you posted on that one. Oh, that'd be excellent, excellent. That'd be wonderful. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so um, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit more about, uh, I don't know, I mean, I'll give you a choice. Uh, do you want to talk more about your healing work with the music? Um, uh, or would you talk want to talk more about, um, you know, your artistry uh, or combine the both of them in one conversation? Um, are you are you going to be traveling any more um, this year as as an ambassador? 
Yes, actually. Okay. Uh, there's, there, there are a couple things on the horizon. The first one, I have a concert uh, at the Arunda Jazz Festival this coming uh, August 17th. So if you guys can make it out tomorrow, come check me out there. Um, and I will be doing a TED Talk in oh. September mm-hmm. in New York, which is going to be very exciting, talking about what we're talking about here, grit, and the power of survival and the ways that we do that. <laughs> and my focus is going to be through expressive arts and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in November, I'm off to Turkmenistan, where we're going to be doing this very so that's Amakela, and all of those events have passed. So I want to let you know about something else that's happening this weekend. Um, if you're a young person, um, there is a uh, a workshop this Saturday with Rihanna Giddens um, at uh, at 11:30 to 12:30 at um, the um, Oakland Public Conservatory of Music, and uh, in the uh, there's going to be a listening interactive workshop with young people on the origins of the banjo at 3445 San Pablo Avenue. And then there's going to be a community adult workshop from 130 to 3. Uh, and that's that actually costs the other, the, for the children, is free. Uh, $35 general admission and $75 for the fundraising price. And it'll be an introduction to the banjo and blackness and music and a conversation between Rihanna Giddens and Angela Wellman, founding director of the Oakland Public Conservatory of Music. There's going to be musical demonstrations by Rihanna Giddens and Francisco uh, Terenzi. And then there's going to be a 30-minute interactive jam session with the audience. And that's going to again be um, at 3443 San Pablo Avenue um, in the Mac. See Magnolia Street Wine Lounge and Kitchen, so that should be fun. And um, this is a fundraiser for OPC's Black Girls Play Program summer trip to um, Pretoria, South Africa. And we are so excited uh, to have in the studio um, the uh, founders of Black Choreographers Here and Now, which is coming up. Twenty second through March eighth. Good morning. Good morning, Wanda. Ah, hi, uh, hi, Laura, Elaine, Ellis. You're just hi. always sort of like right on time, like to the dot. <laughs> 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 Which is so awesome. <laughs> and I'm sure Kendra's yeah. going to be joining us shortly. Kendra Kimbrough Barnes, who is your co-conspirator, co-creator. You all just work so well together. What year is this for Black Choreographers here and now? This is year 16. We celebrated Ooh, a milestone 16. 15 years last oh year. Yes. Sweet 16. Ooh. I love that. Yes, exactly. Sweet 16. <laughs> and it's going to be so sweet. So tell it us is. what's going to be happening. Oh, my God. People are going to want to get tickets for everything because every weekend is different every Program is it, different, and you've got you've got new people joining the the family. Uh, your your website is so awesome. The way you people can like look at these clips and like, oh man, I miss it. But at least I can like get a little flavor. <laughs> yeah, well, you're always so great about coming out and supporting and seeing as much as you can. We love having you in the house, um, and we want um, as many folks as possible to come out and support these incredible artists. Um, We have a community partnership with Safe House Arts, and um, they are hosting the first weekend featuring Natalia Schof, who was part of our artist mentoring program last year, 
and part of a residency program that we were able to offer to Natalia and to Frankie Lee Peterson last year. Natalia's show um, continued working with Safe House through a longer-term residency that's resulting in this um, evening that will happen both on February 2nd and February 23rd, and Natalia is doing uh, an evening she's calling Reunion. It's an evening-length solo, and she has co-choreographed this solo with three artists that she wanted to have in the studio with her, Bianca Stephanie Mendoza, Charbel um, Rohayim, who you may have seen um, in a Gregory Dawson work. He's danced with that company. I think is still a member of that company. And then Jane Selna, who actually danced a solo of Natalia's choreography last year, which I think you may have seen um, last year. And so we're kicking off the festival in a really different way in this intimate space. Um, limited seating. You just get a really up close and personal Hi, watching Kendra. this. Good morning, oh, sorry. Good morning, Hi. that's okay. I was just talking about Natalia, um, and I was about to just say that she's this incredible artist. Um, she has this amazing facilitation with her body, and um, she's got this very um, unique way of moving, very human, um, just gorgeous. So, so that's the first weekend, and then we'll be at Dance Mission the second weekend with the host of... Um, Next Wave showcase, these are Next Wave choreographers um, performing, um, you know, it's like a New Voices, New Works program. Um, mm-hmm. Crystal Bates, who's worked with Kendra, she's coming in from New York. Alice Diaz is coming in from New York. We have Clarissa Diaz, who um, is a, a new artist in the Bay Area. Dana Fitchett, Sean Hawkins. Frankie Lee Peterson, Dazon Solon have all been on the festival mm-hmm. stage before. Um, but Gia Jackson um, premiered a work in progress this summer. She's doing a premiere um, at Dance Mission on the second weekend. Andrea Spearman has performed on festival stages with other choreographers. She's presenting her own work. And um, I saw a work by Gabriel Christian and Jaboise Crouch, um, incredible as part of the Performing Diaspora program at Counterpulse. They're doing this piece on questioning um, religion and how it impacts their own mm-hmm. identity. Yeah, that was really beautiful. Yeah. So they're bringing, um, they're going to be doing a full evening of that at Pulse in the future. So they're going to mm-hmm. be doing some audience-ready work in progress, looking at that work, um, extending that work for uh, at BCF. Uh, Ashley Gell is bringing work, Jamie Wright, and then um, Asia Randall and Patricia West, who have been um, sort of connected with Joe Good over the years, also Ramon um, Ayo, they're bringing their own work um, to uh, the BCF stage second weekend. And then I'm going to let Kendra talk about the third weekend because she (laughs) has some amazing stuff going on. Yeah, really exciting. we're going to have Robert Moses, um, Robert Moses Ken, and mm. Gregory Dawson is going to mm. show an excerpt of a work he premiered in the fall. Um, I will be pre- premiering an excerpt of a new work that I'm working on with Jennifer Johns. And um, we're also really excited to have Chloe Arnold uh, 
uh, tap soloist um, back. She hasn't been to the festival stage in quite a few years and has been doing some awesome work all over the country. And so she'll be um, performing as well. So looking, looking forward to that for sure. And for the first time, we will be presenting at Mills College, Lister Hall yeah. in Oakland. Mm-hmm. So that's a new oh, venue for us as well. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I didn't know it was the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First time at Lister yeah. Hall. Okay. Yeah. And then I um, just wanted to share. Oh, go ahead, Wanda. No, I was just thinking about the Mills College connection because, I don't know, do you teach there? I mean, I, you all have done things with Mills. I... I am an alum of Mills and a okay. family okay. member of their rep company. So they did right. not have a repertory okay. company until 1981, and I was a founding member of that company So um, mm-hmm. and have taught there and um, have been involved with the college over these many years. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's where I met It's where I met Linda Goodrich. So this connection is really awesome. Um, Linda Goodrich was getting her master's when I was an undergrad there, That and I danced in her project. And she mm-hmm. introduced me to Halifu Asamari and City Center back in 1980. Oh. And so mm-hmm. that is when I first met Halifu. And so full circle, full circle, um, we can reveal that the Isadora Duncan Dance Awards Committee is going to honor Black Choreographers Festival for sustained achievement for our 15 years. Mm. And Dr. Halipo Al-Samari is going to um, present us with that award. That's coming up in March following the festival. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that's, and, that's and very, so very, when, very cool. Oh, my gosh. What's so when you date? talk about Mill College, that's, that's a full <laughs> circle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's the date on your award and where? Is it going to be at Mills too? At Brava Theater. Oh, Brava, okay. Brava, yeah, Brava in San Francisco. And speaking of um, Brava, um, this Mm -hmm. past fall, I had the opportunity to uh, help to um, curate, and I also hosted um, a Q&A for the San Francisco mm-hmm. Dance Film Festival. They're raising voices program. Just the <laughs> second year mm-hmm. doing that program. Mm-hmm. And just was so excited to work with them. You know that Kendra and I love yeah. film. We've often had yes, film as do. part of the festival. Mm-hmm. And so they are now our newest community partner. And I selected a number of films, shorts, to host um, and Kendra and I both will host before each concert evening on weekends two and three. So the weekend at Dance Mission, the weekend at Oakland, we're going to open the concerts with um, about 18 to 20 minutes of short films that are mm-hmm. dance film features. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, short features. Um, right. And one that we can share, because we're still waiting for mm-hmm. confirmation from the directors, is one okay. of my favorites. I love them all. It's about faith, mm-hmm. um, which is based on an original spoken word po- poem by Mark Bamuti Joseph, directed by... Oh, Rock that's a film. nice one. That's a really mm-hmm. nice film. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And it's so actor, good. Drew and mm. choreographer, dancer Drew mm. Dollars, and music by Daniel yeah. Bernard Roman, and they just mm-hmm. did a performance of about um, Justin the Blind at San Francisco 
jazz um, just uh, about three weeks ago. Uh-huh. But you know, that film, Kendra, well, mm. yeah, well, Kendra was really kind of um, uh, instrumental in this because she connected mm-hmm. the festival many years ago. Remember, it was Ebony Hawkins, yeah? No, it's not mm-hmm. Ebony. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah Ebony Hawkins, who was our liaison and facilitator of our our film series. Mm-hmm. And um, Yak Films was one of the first um, sort of um, film groups like um, Yoram Savion and um, Cash Games yeah. were working mm-hmm. together, and we were presenting their films in our first year, right, Kendra, or second year? Yeah. I think yeah. it was, yeah, it was the first or second. First year. It was the second year. Mm-hmm. Second year for Yak Films, we showed um, Alonzo King lying right. to LA on film the first year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And funny thing is, um, Wanda, over the years, we've tried to find the best way of incorporating film. You know, we've had mm-hmm. some hit and misses, but we find that what when people buy a concert ticket and they're already planning to come and see a BCF concert instead of waiting in the hallway for the doors to open and the show to start, we like opening mm-hmm. the doors. So when you get a ticket to see a concert, you get the bonus before the show this year of seeing these amazing short films um, mm-hmm. right before the show. So instead of waiting in the hallway, you come and get your seat mm-hmm. early, get there early, and doors open at like 7.15, Come early, you have your ticket in hand, come in the theater, get your seat, enjoy these films, and then our concert will start. So um, we found that that's a really great way to kick the show off. Nice, nice. Wow, what great programming. Oh, my goodness. I should also add, um, I forgot to mention that Rachel Simpson uh, Push Dance Company will also be on the weekend at Mills. Yeah. Oh, Wow. That's the third week, right? I love Yeah. yeah. And I love that Kendra. That's gonna be in Kendra's weekend. Wow. She's both yes, yeah, she's um also connecting that lineage because Risa Simpson spent so many years working with Robert Moses and I love mm-hmm. that they're now going to be sharing a program. <laughs> That's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, wow. Wow, that's amazing. Is this a first for Robert Moses and and uh, Robert Moses Ken and Push Dance um, to be um, on the same stage in the same program at the same time? Is this a first for them, the two choreographers? I think so, yeah. yeah. I'm uh-huh. feeling it Very might be, exciting. yeah. We tend to remember mm-hmm, those details, and I'm not remembering that happening quite in that same, in the same right. way. They may right. have shared a weekend, a performance weekend, but not mm-hmm. the same show, same stage, no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. As as peers, because remember when Robert Moses was he was mentoring Risa uh, Simpson, mm-hmm. when she was a I forgot what you called it. Was it Next Wave? You know where you all had the like the right. established choreographer yeah, with mm-hmm. our artist mentoring program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a long, long time ago. <laughs> Since you all have been around sixteen years. <laughs> <laughs> now she's a mentor. Risa often yeah. is. Yes, she is. Yeah. Wait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did so, she, yes, she mentor Natalia last year, or who did she mentor at at uh? That's right. Okay. Yes, she did. Because she was there mm-hmm. with her baby. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was such a good boy. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't so walking and yeah, talking yet. Yeah, we're getting the very next generation. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> true, true. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is going to be so phenomenal. So, um, so Kendra, talk about about your piece um, that you're um, you're working on. Is it an extension? Because you already have a piece um, that you have have premiered, and I think it might be touring. That's also a collaboration um, with the artist that you mentioned. Right. Yeah. So Jennifer Johns and I, our first collaboration was last year for Red Zone, which was a mm-hmm. piece um, in honor of healing um, for women. Um, with uh, who have experienced sexual assault. And so this year we um, decided, you know, our, our performance back in November was really a transmutation healing ritual. And mm-hmm. um, after transmuting that, that, that energy, um, we decided that we really wanted to do something around joy and fun. And so this next piece is um, the working title is Joy, the Fun Manifesto. And we're working <laughs> nice. on how how do we um, how do you conjure and create joy in moments of you know in every moment of your life and mm-hmm. and recognizing and choosing and and acknowledging that joy is a choice and how to make those those choices so that's what we've been looking at so far and I have a, a new group of dancers um, there are there will be six dancers. Uh, participating and Jennifer Johns is also going to perform uh singing live. Uh so really really excited about the way the work is is shaping up. Mhm. Mhm. Nice. Yeah, nice. and we'll be working on that um throughout the year and you know, so the first excerpt will uh the the larger um excerpt of it will be premiering at BCF. Mhm. Oh, cool. Cool. Super. And um and extending into um you know, um, Women's History Month, and isn't isn't the eighth International Women's Day? It is. It is. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be closing on that day. <laughs> mhm. Right. Right. And wow, and you're another um, special thing. Oh, oh yeah. Another special thing happening that weekend. Robert Moses um, is celebrating 25 years of um, Whoa, having his company. Really? So yeah, twenty wow. fifth uh, year, he is um, making the ECF part of that celebration throughout this year for mm-hmm. him. Mhm. Okay. So he's going to have other activities and pro- um, uh, programs happening around uh, Robert Moses Ken's twenty fifth anniversary year. Yes. Mhm. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Is this the first? Um, event or have I missed some already? I think in the Bay Area proper, um, those events haven't happened yet. I think he is just about to or just performed something in Palo Alto. Okay. Okay, at Stanford. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. And then and then Gregory Dawson, um and um and uh Lisa Simpson's pieces, what are they called in um the excerpt that Greg Gregory Dawson is going to be doing and, and Risa, is it something new or something from her repertoire? Um, Risa is performing something from her repertoire. 
um, another excerpt of her mothership. Um, oh, okay. Piece that she had done. And, Lord, do you want to talk a little bit about Gregory's piece? Because I know you saw it, and I unfortunately missed it, so I'm really excited to be able to see it for the first time, actually, at the festival. Keep your head to the skies. It's the Gorgeousness. You got to see it, Wanda? No, I didn't make it. So I'm happy that um yeah. that he's he's doing an essay. I just love the title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, really something something to witness. Um, mm. just gorgeous choreography. You know, he conjures. He dreams. He dreams his dances. His his dances come out of these fever dreams, and um and these things that conjure in his sleeping. <laughs> He yeah. manifests through choreography and comes up with these really unique stories that are clearly a part of his <laughs> um, really deepest thoughts and consciousness, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it's really a, an interesting way that his dances become. And, yeah, and, um, and so beautiful. Yeah, this one's really, really quite gorgeous. And he always has just the most beautiful inside and out, the dancers that work with him because he is such a a gorgeous soul. His dancers are the same, and who they are and how they express just, you know, comes out of, you know, their fingers, their toes, like everywhere, and um, breaks that fourth wall. And his work really touches touches, um, very deeply. When you see mm-hmm. you are you are transformed. So and this piece mm-hmm. is no different. It's very, very powerful. Um and I wanna say that the um much of the score is mm-hmm. composed by another artist that came through Black Choreographers Festival and actually met Gregory Dawson through the festival and that's Christopher mm-hmm. Scarver, who's an incredible oh, right. dancer and, and Christopher Scarver, yeah. And and uh, and and Christopher um, also composes music and has been collaborating with Gregory now I think for three years. So mm-hmm. what were you gonna say? And um, he'll, uh, I was gonna say that he'll he's actually dancing in my piece, so he'll oh, uh, be sharing the stage with Gregory as well. Yeah. Oh, I just found I just yeah. found that out. Wanda, go on. You, yeah, that's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yes, so Christopher is dancing in your piece. Or Gregory dancing yes. in your piece. Uh, no, Gregory dancing. Yeah. I didn't think Gregory else. danced anymore on the stage. Right. Than, you know, right. for everybody to see. <laughs> wow. I, I think she met Chris, Christopher. Yes. But yeah, I love right, Christopher. Yeah. I, I got it. Christopher, yeah, Christopher's music's going to be in one piece, and then he's going to actually be dancing another piece. So, you know, really what, um, when I hear... Um, Kendra sharing that and what you and the connection you made, Wanda, um, between Risa and Robert, them being peers now. Over the years, this has really become a family, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, inter- yeah. And, and intergenerational. And so um, when you look at the festival overall, it's got this amazing um, feeling of intergenerations. Um so we're all yeah. here together supporting each other, and there's all these connections. And Kendra will, you know, will also tell you that 
this was really one of our overall views for the festival year one, is that we wanted to eliminate the isolation, the silos of artists Mm -hmm. working, Mm -hmm. and making all of these interconnections. And um, if we reflect as we did, when we reflect, as we did in year 15, <laughs> we're, seeing, we're seeing the impact of that vision and the, um, mm-hmm. and the way it's influencing really the Bay Area dance ecology overall, but specifically yeah. um, for our, our black dance artists and choreographers. Yeah. Visibility, mm-hmm. accessibility, um, the way... Um, they're working together in all these many different ways and supporting each other. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People yeah. often I ask, you know, how do you do... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, finish your thought, and then I'll ask the question. I was just going to say people often ask, you know, how, how we continue to do the festival. It's been 16 years, and it's, you know, things like that that continue to fuel us and, you know, ensure that we keep the festival going. It's really important for us to create community and a sense of family and support, um, like Laura said, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you um, if uh, you're going to be having um, any visual art, because I know sometimes you have an art exhibit um, in some of the venues, um, not all of them, but sometimes you, you feature an artist, and uh, a visual artist. And then I was wondering, were you going to have... Um, any um, any ports or anything like that? Uh, any literary aspect to to the festival? And and then lastly, um, you know, given that this is the uh, the celebration of the 19th Amendment, um, you know, granting um, women and others the right to vote, uh, I was wondering, is there any connection thematically in any of the dance uh, chore- any of the choreographers this year? sort of looking at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we we do not have any visual artists um, scheduled uh, for this year. We will have um, a few community vendors um, at the third weekend at Mills, um, which we, you know, definitely love to support artisans, and so I'm excited that that, that piece um, will be represented. And... Um, Jennifer Johns has uh, already written some poetry that is going along with our piece, so there will be that spoken word and um, poetry aspect as well. We're really, you know, for for our piece, Joy, the Fun Manifesto, we're really trying to create an entire experience of, of joy, of the, the audience um, uh, participation and creating um, just really you know, an experience for for people to have a moment of experiencing joy in this time of, you know, major distress and political unrest. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, um, so we'll definitely be sharing some words about that uh, for BCS. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I feel like the um, the films are definitely an expression of visual art. Quite mm-hmm. frankly, <laughs> and, oh yeah, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and there is um, you know poetry and text and spoken word throughout that um, expressed yeah. as yeah as well as um, the idea around um, 
our black community and oppression and the prison complex, that system, which I think mm-hmm. is most definitely an extension of our history here as enslaved peoples. Um mm-hmm. coming, you know, being descendants of enslaved people. So um I feel like that is also captured um and is bringing into the conversation um this this continuation of um enslaving um us um penalizing us for just being <laughs> um mm-hmm. and 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 really um not valuing our contributions um our rights as citizens um in this country and I'll paraphrase um a quote that um I am thinking about as part of our Q&A because we will have Q&As for the artists following particular concerts um, for the oh, third weekend, nice. it'll be on the Saturday night. For the second weekend, it'll be Saturday and Sunday. And um, James Baldwin has a quote um, how um, I love America, um, but I also have the right to criticize her perpetually, <laughs> right? So, like, um, and and so bringing up these questions around. Uh, rights in this country, I think it's relevant. We have an administration right now in the White House that has absolutely no care for our Constitution and certainly clearly racist racist views around brown and black people um, globally and certainly in this country. And so it's important for us through our art and through our conversation to continue to keep people awake and vigilant in protecting our citizen rights and our constitutional rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I and I think that their storytelling that certainly is capturing these ideas. Gia uh Jackson is doing um a piece, uh Cages and Crowns, um, that is about women and her expression as a woman. Um and I feel like artists are also talking about our storytelling and journey as black people in this country. Um, and in many different ways, I think the festival also shows that our artistic expression is not monolithic. We have these many different ways that we express ourselves and our stories, um, whether it's a matrix of cross-cultural collaboration, whether um it's coming like Gregory, very abstract and from a fever dream, or whether it's guided <laughs> by spirituality or questioning, mm-hmm. questioning spirituality, guided by spirituality like in the work of Frankie Lee Peterson, or questioning spirituality um, as Gabriel Christian or Chaboise Crouch um, they're doing in their work, or whether it's just straight funk and groove like Dana Fitchett who is talking about migration and displacement, but through the channels of house and club dancing. Um, So there are all these many ways that um, black artists express who we are um, and our journeys. Um, And they're very unique to us individually and collectively. We have great stories to tell about what it's like living in this country. 
It's mm-hmm. a great, you know, BCF provides a great platform for artists to come together and tell these tell these stories through their artistic expression. Yeah, I certainly agree. I, I totally agree. Yeah, it's just been such a gift, you know, that um, that you, both of you um, and your two organizations have come together to, um, you know, uh, remember black choreographers, you know, um, moving toward the 21st century, you know, um, mm-hmm. that was um, uh, the brainchild of um, Dr. Halifa Oshamare. And, and then when you all, like, saw that, you know, sort of, that empty space, you know, for African-American and African diaspora um, performing arts, specifically dance, and decided to come together and do this, it was like, yes. And it's just been so rich because, you know, black choreographers here and now is not just in February, like when you all first started, but, you know, it's in March, it's in the summer, it's in the fall, it's, you, you know, you all are popping up in collaboration. I'm like, Okay, you know, because if you don't, if you don't like follow you all or something, you could totally miss some really, really wonderful <laughs> ventures and activities and programs that you all are a part of. And um, so I just want to thank you all for, you know, for your diligence and your commitment and just to keep on doing the fundraising or whatever you have to do to make it happen. Yeah, well, thank, thank you, Linda. Thank you for your support. All the time, and oh, what really can't. helps is to have people come out and see the shows. So go to our yes. website, Black Choreographers, like bcfhereandnow.com. So BCF stands for Black Choreographers Festival, but it is spelled out bcfhereandnow.com. Go to the website. We always have affordable ticket pricing because that's also part of our vision, making it accessible and affordable so we can all come out and support these amazing artists, filling up our houses really makes it possible for us to have the seed money to present the next year. When Mm -hmm. the community shows up, they have a powerful impact. They actually make it possible for us to do this each and every year. Um, Mm -hmm. So buy a ticket and have a great time. We feed you food and cake and and then we feed your soul we feed your soul as well with some amazing storytelling and art. Yeah, and I also I for, I almost forgot to mention that Chloe Arnold is going to be um hosting a master class on Saturday, mm-hmm. March seventh at twelve PM. Um we are uh we just recently took residency at Pretty City Studios, which is inside of the Flax building, and so oh wow, the, uh, yeah, so really excited. Well, about the Flax is becoming the place. My goodness, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. They they are doing amazing things and MLK. to support <laughs> artists. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so that is, uh, you know, again, Laura mentioned affordable prices. That master class is only fifteen dollars, and uh, wow. they, uh, folks can pre-register and the link is on the website as well. So really excited mm-hmm. about that. Okay, cool. And then before you all leave, uh, my next guest is not joining me yet, I wanted to ask you um, for the um, um, for the award that you're going to be getting, uh, the Isadora Dan- Duncan uh, Award at Brava, what's the date on that? Yeah. And the time. Um, yes, I mean, 
pop that up to Monday. I want to make sure I give you the right date. So let okay. me go to my calendar. March 23rd, I think. It is March 23rd. Good job, okay. Kendra. What, and what time? March 23rd, 7 o'clock. So the doors open at 6. They always have a, a lovely reception of food. It is free to the public. You simply need to show up. You can have a bit to eat, and then the award ceremony starts at 7. Nice, nice. Oh, that is so awesome. Congratulations. Oh, my goodness. This is so cool. Thank you. Wow, wow. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. It's going to be a sweet 16 year for you all. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, looking forward to... um, Looking forward to as many of these weekends that I can fit in, but uh, definitely weekend three. That sounds historic. (laughs) (laughs) All these these firsts happening. Yeah. Yeah. But they're always really fun. You know, I love safe, safe, um, safe house arts. I just love that little intimate space because, like, you're walking down with Eddie, right? And you're like, where is this place? (laughs) And then you go in. You know, there's a guy sitting out front. It's like, what you here for? <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. and then and you go in like whoa, one four, yeah. it's so beautiful. Hmm? It's one four it five, it, one four five Eddie Street. It's the yeah, right. tucked in <laughs> little space. Yeah, but you get You're a very so special experience there. And then you know, Dance yeah. Mission has that cool and funky New York vibe. You walk up the stairs. Dance Mission is the bomb. Yes, with mm-hmm. such warmth and you know and food to eat and <laughs> you know and uh, yeah you drink wine yeah. get your glass of wine you get to take it into the mm. theater it's very relaxed and <laughs> very welcoming right and then we'll yeah. have and, brand, and then Mills has this brand new renovated space that's yeah. absolutely 